This episode of Burgundy Radio is brought to you by this public service announcement. Racist words or actions, no matter where they come from, are absolutely inexcusable, intolerable, and have zero place anywhere, be it on a hockey rink, social media, or elsewhere. The staff at Burgundy Review and the voices on this podcast are unified against racism and hate speech. And no matter who you are or what team you support, if you are a racist, you are not welcome here. His shot tips, a Bennington rebound, he got that one too. Kadri had the follow-up, Bennington fell over. Here's Manson, Bennington's reset. Manson scores! Josh Manson wins game one! And they come through with a big road win here in game three in St. Louis. 5-2, the final score as the Avalanche take a 2-1 series lead over the St. Louis Blues. This game is over. Kadri responds, and the Blues are behind. Now the Blues got to get back to their game. They let the Avalanche dictate this one, and that's the result if you give Colorado that type of game. We'll see if they can use it. Bounce back here heading to Denver. Makar is there behind his own net. Maybe a last opportunity here in the third. Eric Johnson dishes the pass to the near side. Helm shoots, scores! Can you believe it? 4.9 seconds left. And that might be the series clincher. Wow, absolute dagger by the Avalanche here in the dying seconds of this third period. You're thinking for sure this is going to overtime. It's Eric Johnson that gets on his horse, drives it up the ice, and gains the zone, and the one-time blast stop shot by Helm. This pass right here, off the wall, he just tees it up and beats Husso. The net is empty for St. Louis. They've used their timeout. Four seconds left. Here's Falk. He'll dump it in. Kemper will glove it down. And for the first time in 20 years, the Colorado Avalanche will play in the Western Conference Final. And after 20 years, Avs fans, we are on our way to the Western Conference Finals. Greetings one and all, near and far, reaching your ears wherever you are. Welcome to Burgundy Radio. I am the voice of Vlad, your host of Burgundy Radio. Joining our starting lineup is Tiger Mixon, Jackie. Well, I do have to say thank you to the Avs for my birthday gift. I appreciate it. Joining our starting lineup also is Earl 6 Earl, does the power of ice compel you? Does now. <laughs> <laughs> when we last graced your digital airwaves, the Avs gearing up for their second round matchup against yet another former friend of the show. The man with so much character, not, not even driving through a brick wall could stop him. Ryan O'Reilly and the St. Louis Blues, who earned their second round berth in a six game defeat of the Minnesota Wild during round one. The Avalanche and the Blues are certainly no stranger to each other in the Stanley Cup playoffs, as the Avs headily swept the Blues in their first-round matchup last year. As luck would have it, this year's playoff round would begin exactly one year to the day after that first-round contest began in 2021. Game 1 would go to the Avalanche, though they would need a little extra time to finish in this one. 
That finish came off the stick of Josh Manson, who scored his first ever Stanley Cup playoff goal through a gray screen in front of Blues goaltender Jordan Binnington, giving the Avs a 3-2 overtime victory and the series lead. The Avs would come out hard in the first period, getting plenty of chances and hitting plenty of iron, before O'Reilly would get a fluky bounce off Kale McCarr's stick for the opening goal of the series. Valeri Nutrushkin would get his third of the playoffs to tie it at one, and Sam Girard would score his first. And foreshadowing, his last goal of these playoffs, giving the Avs a 2-1 lead, but Jordan Cairo would tie the game on a power play on a pretty soft holding call against uh, Devon Taves on Ivan Barbashev. As a whole, the Avs would put over twice as many shots on Biddington compared to what Darcy Kemper faced. Shot totals were 54-25 to in favor of the Avs, including a 13-0 run in overtime before Manson finally ended it. Uh, it's been a little while since uh, that first game of the series, but your thoughts on how things uh, started out between these two clubs? Oh, it's so frustrating. They hit five posts in that game, right? I mean, it was it, it was ridiculous. I mean, you, you kind of expected some rust, but not really in that way. You kind of expected a little lethargy maybe, or just, you know, maybe the Blues coming off of a, a seventh game would have a little more jump or whatever. But they just... You know, they were dominating from the drop of the puck. They just couldn't finish. So you can look at it both ways, that the process was good, that they had the puck, they were generating chances, but the fact that you needed overtime to win this game, which overtime's a little bit of a coin flip, but like Vlad said, the first 13 shots went their way. So, you know, like overtime is an extension of their 5-on-5. Five which has usually been pretty good. So for the most part, have a good feeling when they head to overtime. We'll get to when you don't have a good feeling about them going to overtime. But you know you have to win overtime at some point to win a series. Like, that's usually how it's going to happen. Like, they even needed overtime against Nashville. So I felt pretty good after this one. It was nice to see Sam and then Manson, of all people, were the, the goal scorers or the hero goal scores in this one. So um, it was a nice way to start it and cool to see like a guy like Manson have a moment like that. So it's pretty fairly positive after that. You, I guess you would feel like if you keep shooting like that, you're going to score your goals at least on five on five for sure. Yeah. I think the main thing that stood out to me after this game was, you know, how different this game was compared to playing the blues last year. I mean, the, the Blues were a lot more dangerous. They're definitely a better team. And you still see the numbers. I mean, they had almost 100 shot attempts in just over 60 minutes. Uh, you know, the expected goals were just, you know, it was an onslaught. So it's like they were developing so much. You're just wondering, like, you know, if you're Ruby in the Blues, like, you know, what is your answer to this? Because... You know, sooner or later, they're going to start finishing, and then you know th this this could have been a sweep easily if they kept playing like that. I also remember I felt like this was the game special teams started letting them down. Like the Abs went zero for three in this game. If they had just scored one of those, maybe you don't need overtime. The Blues scored in their only one, so that yeah, those started... soft calls at the beginning of the third kind of. And I realized that you know the referees were needing to, to even the even the game up a little bit, but I, I think those were a little too gratuitous, you know? 
So it kind of got back to something we were a little bit concerned with. Like, if this starts becoming a special team series, not good. And it could have cost them in this game. Like, who knows if the Blues even got in a second power play. So, I mean, the fact that the Avs had three to their one was probably even generous to begin with. And then, you know, getting scored on your only one probably was a little bit of a concern. Yeah. Um, and not scoring on your power play with less than two minutes to go in the game. I mean, you almost felt like, like, oh my god, are they going to get a power play in overtime? Like, are the Blues going to get one? Right. And I know in overtime they really don't want to call it unless it's like delay of game. But you just you're still looking at three to one power play split. There is probably not great. But yeah, it was a decent opening. You just you're kind of wondering. So what will the net next game look like? You know, who's going to make the adjustments? You know, are the Avs going to do things to get a little better finish? You know, the Blues going to try to shut them down? You know, I, I think it was a good opening game in that it kind of left us with more questions than answers. When I left Ball Arena on, uh, you know, at the conclusion of that game, I was starting to think that there were some parallels with uh, – game two against Nashville, how the abs put up a ton of shots and Connor Ingram was just saving the daylights out of the predators in that game two. And this seemed to follow a similar script, of course, with a little bit more firepower for the blues. But the same question is, as we've already discussed, well, what adjustments do you make if you're St. Louis after being, you know, more than doubled up on shots? What, what can you do to try to counter such a potent and sustained attack that the abs had? So I was feeling good coming into game two. So unfortunately, I didn't feel quite as good after game two ended. (laughs) Same here. Game two is the one I went to. So unfortunately, uh, the Avs didn't really seem to come out with the same type of, uh, you know, jump and energy as they did in game one, which (laughs) (laughs) the Avs would make good on their power play. Uh, with Landis Gog uh, finally getting on the board. Unfortunately, that would be the only time the Avs got on the board, as Perron would get a uh, pretty much a freebie on a turnover in the Blues' end, and he would beat Darcy Kemper on a shot that he would lo- most likely want back. Uh, the Avs pull Ke- uh, Kemper late for the the extra attacker, but old friend Brandon Saad would make good on the empty net. Blues would win Game 2 evening the series at one game apiece, which would guarantee a game five back in Denver. Your final score for one St. Louis over the abs. I remember from this one, like I always say, it's a little tough to compare live versus a game that I just saw on TV, like especially to judge momentum and stuff, but it really seemed like St. Louis just played better. I don't know if they necessarily had any, I know that they switched the lines a little bit and, you know, maybe that gave them some sort of, jump or whatever but I just think they played better they played to their system and just gave the abs a little bit more trouble like they didn't have the same kind of shots that they did in game one I think if I remember correctly this was probably the Blues best game of the six. Oh yeah so you know maybe it was just a matter of them executing and then obviously you didn't want to see another power play goal well Okay, I do remember the power play goal was because of the five on three, which, you know, that's tough. It's tough to give in the playoffs a team 
a full five on three. And it was that weird nuke goalie interference call. And I remember seeing it live. Like it was nuked enormous, right? And so it looked like he really got his money's worth. And you're like, oh, that's why they called it. When you see it in video, it doesn't quite look like he really ran him over, which, of course, this is very ironic when we get to what happened in game three. But so I feel like maybe it was more of an optics thing because at game speed live, it did look like he really really knocked him down but it's also a tough call to make because like i said you give a team a full five on three you're basically giving them a goal and that's what happened so that part was frustrating because like we talked about the concerns of the abs penalty kill and then they get a freebie but at least landy scored on their own power play so at least made you feel like okay it's even because both teams got their special teams goal. So we got that out of our system. But uh, like Vlad said, that breakaway goal, the third one that Blues scored, was just so deflating. Like I feel like the Avs came out in the third period and they were getting momentum. And it was just 3-1 to one at that point. And they just weren't generating enough to where you felt like they were going to be able to get two goals back in this game. And I think it's kind of true through the full series and probably more of a playoff truism. Like, going down by two, I know. Like, talking about game five here, but usually going down by two is not a good thing. So, uh, they always did better when they kept it within one. So, it was just a disappointing way to end, end game two in the third period there. Yeah, I mean, there's. I think there's a huge difference between losing game two and losing game three. If you're the the team up two one after after that. Yeah, like I I didn't expect a sweep, but you just thought, why couldn't you play? Why couldn't you at least win both at home, right? So now you got to go on the road, and what's going to happen here? Like, if you lose game three, then not only do they they have that home ice, and then they have the momentum at home too. So. You were a little bit worried, I think, after game two, but there was still so much series left. That's how I felt. Yeah. And they probably needed something like this. I mean, I, I think Jared Bednar's comments after the series, you know, kind of hinted like they weren't really tested during the regular season all that much. So, you know, maybe having a situation like this where you're playing a team that, that plays a little tougher than maybe you expected and, and you end up tied after. Uh, the first two games, you know, maybe that's that's something that you know they needed as far as learning how to battle in a series because obviously they didn't have to against Nashville. And then game three happened. Oh, did it ever? <laughs> it was just a nice normal playoff series up till then. Not really any controversy. I'm just here for the hockey, everybody. And then. <laughs> We got that and so much more. Whether we liked it or not, this is where the series took a few unfortunate turns for both clubs. The Avs lost Sam Girard just a couple of minutes into the game as he was on the receiving end of a hard hit into the end boards by Ivan Barbashev. Girard would end up leaving the game 
and would be sent to a local area hospital where it was determined that he suffered a broken sternum and would miss the remainder of the postseason. The Avs would have to finish Game 3 with five defensemen. A few minutes later, the Blues would then lose Jordan Bennington after a battle for a puck near the top of the Blues crease between Nassim Kadri and former Avs defenseman Callie Rosen, which would send both players sprawling into the Blues goaltender. Bennington would leave the game and Ville Husa would enter in relief. It should be noted that neither the Barbashev hit or the collision on Bennington were the result of borderline or dirty plays, contrary to certain opinions. Barbashev was a solid hit on a prone Gerard, but it was deemed a clean play and no penalty was assessed on the hit. Likewise, both Rosen and Kadri were engaged in a battle for a loose puck. As a result, Rosen collides first with Bennington and the moment for momentum rather from the impact with Rosen was in Kadri on top of Bennington a split second later. By this point, though, the Blues had already scored the first goal of the game for the third straight time, uh, Colton Pareko putting the Blues ahead. However, Logan O'Connor would get a great pass from Josh Manson just after the Avs would kill off a power play, and he would beat Husso for the equalizer. The Avs would build a 3-1 lead in the second off goals by Kadri, who would receive a generous amount of booze for the rest of the contest. And Arturi Lekkanen, before a late goal by Ryan O'Reilly, would cut the lead to one goal. The Avs would hold things down until the final minutes when a mistimed goalie pulled by St. Louis would give Gabe Landeskog a free net to shoot at for the insurance tally. Lekkanen would add a second empty net goal to seal this one for the Avs, giving them a 2-1 series lead and a 5-2 victory for Game 3. Boy, lots to unpack here. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say that. that um... I agree with what you said. I don't think either play was dirty, and it should be mentioned neither were penalized or looked at by the Department of Player Safety, which wasn't really expected. Um, you know, the jarred hit was upsetting, and I think the aftermath, which we'll get into more, I think made it even more upsetting, but you know that guys will eventually get taken out in the playoffs, just kind of what happens. It's a war of attrition, but... You always hate to see it, and I don't fault Barbashev. I don't think he should have been suspended. You know, was it a penalty-worthy hit? Perhaps. I did think it was a touch late. You know, the shoulder check was fine, but he turned around and pushed Gerard in the numbers into the boards. That's what broke the sternum. The shul- a shoulder check does not break a guy's sternum. It's not even a common injury in hockey. It's a car accident injury. And you can see plenty of videos or screen caps online where that impact of that hit was. And it's not because he's small. It wasn't his face or because the dasher. It was purely chest into the boards. And that was the, you know, the devastating part of the hit. But, you know, it happens and... uh, they were able to regroup, even though they also had uh, given up the first goal of the game at that point. And, and, and playing with five defensemen, I mean, it was the beginning of the game. I think it was the first shift. And I understand, like, Barbashev's a young guy. He wants to come out with a lot of jump, throw a big hit. Like, I totally get why that hit happened. And I have nothing against him. It's just, it's sometimes it happens, and I get it, but... It was pretty devastating to the team, I think. Like, uh, he's an important player, and it was a barely 
very violent way to get taken out. Yeah, I do think it was dirty, actually. I, I, I think when you're seeing numbers, you know, I, I, I was always taught that was a no-no. And you see junior players speak of the same thing. I mean, the first contact is like shoulder to shoulder. Like I, I get that, but the finish of the hit was definitely on the numbers. I mean, he's behind him. And he pushes like. him from behind into the boards. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I don't see why that needs to be in hockey. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what hits like that being legal adds to the game. You know, and, and this is beyond losing Sam for me. I mean, I just, I. You know, I think that's just sort of gratuitous violence. It was harder than it needed to be, for sure. But I think Avs fans kept their perspective on the hit. It Now, if it had been, say, Makar, would Avs fans have been quite as rational? Probably not. Or if it had been one of our favorite, or least favorite, <laughs> you know, friends from other teams, like let's say Colasar, Greenway, or some of these others that have um, have hurt our players in the past, probably would have fueled the flames a little bit, like like we'll get to with the Binnington situation. Like, it does make sense. They didn't like Kadri to begin with, was a big part of it, but so I don't think because the Avs so I think because the Avs didn't have any problem with Barbashev Probably help keep their pool with the situation, but it's just unbelievable to me how the whole Gerard thing was just swept under the rug. Like, it wasn't a devastating injury. It wasn't a violent act. It wasn't a big deal. That it wasn't something that would have upset the team and the organization or triggered retaliation or whatever you want to say it just was like forgotten right after it happened and i think the i think it was a a heavy hit for sure uh i and since we didn't get a penalty for it i you know it sucks that that was the end result to have sam hurt to that extent and of course no one wants to see you know a heavy hit turn into that i yeah could it have been called a penalty? Sure. But but I'm not broken up either way that the fact that it wasn't called a penalty, but to Earl's point, yeah, it's a hit that you probably need to have removed from the game getting into the numbers because that was such a, the league made such a huge push about don't hit people in the numbers coming out of the, uh, the 05 lockout. By and large, a lot of those hits are pretty well, you know, gone by the wayside. This one just happened to slip through. And even even then, it, it didn't seem to fit the, the mold of what those old hits in the numbers were at that time. I think it has a lot to do with the initial point of contact, which is somewhat the problem with the headshot kind of stuff, where if you can find any sort of angle or case that any other part of the body was briefly grazed before a major, massive head blow, then that makes it legal. Yeah, I mean, the league is fine with it. The players are fine with it. So it is what it is. And it is the reason why they made the icing rule, because they don't want to see defensemen getting blasted like that by the boards. I, I think they are trying to take that away, but, you know, there's always going to be the, the four-checker coming 
and plays like that, I don't think you can eliminate that entirely. Right. There's always going to be a moment in a game where the possibility of something like that exists. The Avs playing down, you know, a defenseman and finishing it with five and coming out with the victory. And they mix the pairs a lot, too. Like, everyone played with everyone in that game out of necessity, pretty much. I think listening to Jared Bednar's comments after the game, I think one reason he might not have delved into Sam's hit as much is just to not add more fuel to the fire about what happened to Bennington. And I do think internally they're a little more upset about it than they should. As you could tell from what the players said or didn't say after the game, they were upset about that. Well, I mean, I understand that approach because I definitely think the Blues handled what happened to them completely wrong. And they started a firestorm that I don't think they understood. And so I can see that that's part of like their turn the page mentality. And there wasn't retaliation. There wasn't any of that. And I'm not saying I wanted that. It's just, it was so little of a talking point. To retaliate. That was a really good way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it was planned. I know. No, it's like you'd kind of like to just, you know, for that primal vengeance inside of you to think that, that Nas was thinking of Sam when he went in there, but. No. (laughs) Like, I can't even... No. Like, as far as I know... And to tell the truth, honestly, Rosen did more damage to Bennington than Nas did anyway. Yeah. And I don't even think Brube was asked about that hit on Gerard. Like, it was just such a non-event. And that... I think that part of it does make it kind of sad, really. But I think the total lack of acknowledgement in the coming days made it even worse. But if we want to get into the actual hit on Bennington is, I mean, if that wasn't Kadri and they probably would have been butthurt about whoever it was, but it's a bit strange to me why they hate him so much. And I know it was the fall kit, but it's not like, I mean, we have guys that get hit in the head all the time. So, unfortunately, it is a pretty common thing that happens. I wish it wasn't, but for them to act like that was the only guy that ever got hit in the head ever, and that's the reason for their unhinged hate towards Kadri is really, really strange, truly. So, so they saw Kadri do it. Bennington was taken out, even though... Their own man was in poor position and fell on him first. Did they ever say which knee it was that Bennington hurt? It was because, the left knee. Because the left knee was the one that Rosen fell on. If you look yeah. at the video, Kadri is diving towards his right. And that's yeah, the you, only part of the body he made contact with. Yeah, when you look at it, when the trainer came out, it's like when he went to his left, that's when he crumpled and said no more. And, I mean, Kadri could have hit, hit him in the head if he wanted to at that point. If if he was really going for it. it. To me, it wasn't even a question at the time. I mean, those plays happen. They happen to Kemper. Like I said in Game 2, I, I really think Nuke gave him a better shot than Kadri did. I don't think Nuke was trying to hurt him, but 
we see these plays all the time and you know, it sucks seeing somebody get hurt. I do. I feel bad for the extent that he was playing well. He was an important part of their team, but when this happens just like 10 minutes after Gerard, I'm sorry. I, my tears were already used up. Like two important players went out of the game. It sucks, but it happens. It happens to all of us. So just the seeing the hilarious things like, well, how would Abs feel if it happened to them? It's just like so ignorant. I can't even believe it. And then also we lost Kadri or Kemper when he almost had his eye poked out. <laughs> and I even said that was not intentional. It just happens. So yeah, we had already been through that our goalie was gone and Frank had to win two games in Nashville and close out the series. So it's just blows my mind that they use this as a vehicle to have just this organization wide tantrum. And the team started it, you know, with Berube's comments, like it's about reputation and then this stupid childish water bottle thing. I don't even yeah. know if it was full or not, or maybe it was partially full, but like that wasn't even part of the game. That was after the game. So it has nothing. It's not equatable to McKinnon throwing the helmet, which happened in the actual game. It's not like he just saw the guy on the concourse and threw it at him. And they led the way. They showed that this was how they were going to react. And they lit the fire and they're responsible for how far it burned. Yeah. And I don't want to let them off the hook. I can see them. If, if they were actually trying to be responsible, which no one knows, um, maybe they didn't felt that mentioning it at all would have a negative effect and just increase um, you know, the bad things that were already happening. But you know, I, I think that there was no response whatsoever when you know the the threats came out. The police response was noted in the news and things like that. It, at that point, you know, just sort of as a a human being, uh, you kind of need to stand up and say, you know, this, this isn't right. I mean, this is a hockey game. Um, this is some tough luck, but. You know, this isn't the way you deal with things like this. I mean, I truly think that they didn't expect it to take off like that, but they were just so dumb about it that they're the ones that lit the match, and they're the ones that hated him first. And, you know, it devolved into this racist garbage, but it, it's, <laughs> it's also it was just so ignorant to not expect it that you give people that hate a reason, you know, people that hate don't even need a reason, but you give them a reason and it just, it devolves into something disgusting. And, you know, the, the thing about the threats and, you know, that's just so unfortunate, especially to the fact that some were taking it serious enough to, that the police were even concerned. And that really, really scares you to think like what could have been said that was deemed even partially credible. Right. But and then they, 
And then they get back to St. Louis and the, the I sit with Bennington crowd signs. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to that game. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it, you know, it, it, it was something that I, I'm sure in hindsight, they probably look at it like, boy, if we had done this and that, maybe we could have ameliorated the effects a little bit. And maybe they would have, but, you know, they didn't do anything. And then this is what it devolved to. Doing and, and and saying pretty much next to nothing was the worst thing they could have done in in this whole thing. They they had an opportunity to defuse the situation between game three and game four, and they inflamed it with their non-committal uh, comments. The the topped off by the uh, no comment by Craig Bruby himself, and I. I do feel like they do go into a cocoon a bit. Like, they aren't sitting on Twitter all day. Maybe they didn't know the extent of it. But they did know about the police and the threats. So even just that should have been enough to step in and say something. But it was like they were still more concerned about their own butthurtness and their own feelings about the situation that they didn't want to say something about this larger issue. And again, you know, is it ignorance? But ignorance isn't an excuse. I'm not saying it is, but I just feel like a lot of their actions were pretty ignorant. And um, yeah, I, mean, I think it was a lot of just sitting there hoping it would just go away. I mean, that's just not going to happen. And the scary <laughs> thing is, is that, you know, the police were there and were providing the extra protection just for that. I mean, were they even there for game six? Would they even be there next year when the Avs go there? Like the hate will always still be there. It might not be as bubbling up at the surface because of these issues. But I think that that is the scary thing is that people are always going to feel this way towards him and that he would feel for his safety. You know, it never goes away, even though like the problem itself has been calmed down. But another point I want to make is that I kind of remembered this. And then um, someone told me about Sam's father was on the French news and he actually got death threats after the Vegas series. So this doesn't just happen to persons of color. This is something that happens to a lot of let's say scapegoated individuals. And yes, when there's racial motivations behind it, it becomes even more scarier, but there are a lot of unhinged people out there and you give them a reason and they're going to go after. And I find that very sad too, that, you know, Sam had to be a part of that, that, that anybody has to be a part of that. And I think, you know, that is one of the big problems with social media and everything is that that you can express the, these things directly towards somebody. So, yeah, there's a lot of ugly, ugliness all to go all the way around. It was a absolute failure by the St. Louis Blues organization to take responsibility for uh, at least the public facing side of their organization they could have and didn't have the players take a stronger position and 
I don't know if that's something that anybody has said, hey, go out there and say X or Y on whatever. Probably not, but one would hope that you you see somebody who's getting, you know, death threats or the target of racist hate speech. You would think just as a just as a decent human being, someone would want to speak up even if you're playing against them to say, hey, this is not okay. Don't act this way. You don't treat people like this. You act like this. You're we don't want your fan support or however they want to phrase it. Just do more than what they, you know, the, the cardboard. It's unfortunate. We don't want to see this happen. That really bothered me that they had an opportunity to really take a stand and demonstrate that some things are bigger than hockey. And they absolutely failed in that regard. Barube tried far later than he probably should have to, to say that this was not okay. But the point remains, he still tried to do something. It's tough for me because then at that point, everyone's expecting, you know, when they say, oh, couldn't you just give out the PR boilerplate? You know, couldn't you at least do that? And then when people do, it's like, oh, well, that's just PR boilerplate. It doesn't mean anything. So I understand, like, and I do kind of get what Bednar was saying. Like, if you want to say no comment, that's like, you're right. It, you know, it's tough because it's like you should want to go out, you know, make a real heartfelt something. But you, what I'm trying to say, you just can't expect that, you know, it's like you damned if you do and you damned if you don't. And yeah, everybody should want to come out and denounce it and have a heartfelt message about it. Like all the, all the people that put up the black square, that one, you know, the, during the black lives matter movement, it's like, it's not just about just then it's about making the point when it matters, when it's organic and everything. But you know, it just doesn't happen that way. Like we would love for it to all be organic and meaningful, but it's just not possible. And that part is unfortunate, but you just, you'll never satisfy people when you say, I expect you to say something, but you know, it, it, it's never good enough. So at least they finally did. I agree with that, but you know, it didn't satisfy anybody. It was just like the PR pr probably told them if you find you have to do this at this point, And they did. And for me, I'm more upset about they're the ones that lit the match. They're the ones that acted like babies after that game and acted like their situation was the most important thing in the world. And they never took responsibility for that portion of it. Right. And, and that's actually what I was about to say is they, they did not accept the responsibility that their players, their coaches or coach, uh, didn't, they, did, they just didn't you know, take responsibility for, for them, for what for their role in, in this at all. And as a result, this is what it, what it became. And there was, there was a, a threat credible enough to involve law enforcement to put more of a presence at enterprise center. And I, I honestly don't think it would have happened if they hadn't thrown the tantrum. I mean, you're always going to have haters. There always would have been, probably a few crazy people sending messages, but it just wouldn't have been that public tidal wave. And 
people feeling like they had an excuse or a reason to hate. And yeah, that to me, that's the disgusting part of it is, is they just never acknowledged. Maybe they don't even realize that it, it was how they handled it. And, and even then there's, like you said, there's no excuse for being ignorant. There's, there's a lot that there's a lot that they can learn between now and whenever they come back to resume operations about yeah i just i hope they realize that they're the part that they played in it and like i said for me it was more about them setting it off than the timing of their statement which i like i said i agree wasn't great but at that point you're just you're checking off a scorecard one way or the other and you know that's whatever but um i also didn't see their captain saying much uh no he said nothing and I did not watch all their pressers, so I am just going by what what was tweeted. But as far as I know, <laughs> I'm sure if he did, we'd know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really hope that the NHL, along with the Blues and the Avs, and it, you know, basically every team looks at this and sort of Monday morning quarterbacks it and says, you know, like when you have an incident like this, like all right, you've got to you've got to have a quick response. And, you know, I, I think part of you know, the problem with what the blues went through is that, you know, they didn't realize what they'd done. They didn't take responsibility for it and they didn't have a plan to combat it. Um, yeah. They were and, still, and maybe if wounds. they were ready, maybe if they're like, Oh gosh, this is, this is going to be a tough situation. They could have gone into a mode where like, you know, it's, it's okay to let the players, talk about it, how it's not right to do these things and yeah i still know. think they were licking their wounds the day later I just right and, think and the day later was the big problem like it's tough to say like i mean obviously like you shouldn't let your racist goalie throw a water bottle at your combat there but um you know at the next day once we knew about sort of the, the police presence and the problems that went beyond the rink you know, that's when the response was really needed to calm things down. And, you know, I, I can see that they would not be ready for that. And that's part of why they just didn't have any kind of decent response to it. Um, but it was you know, like what we were saying earlier, you know, even before it it blew up, it, just to see just how the Avs and Bednar handled what happened to Sam. And maybe we all as fans would have felt a little bit better if there was a little bit more whining or like this sucks. But if it was needed to just keep the focus on the game, like I totally get that. And that's just why they do it so much better that way. Yeah. You know, again, I, I just, I, I think there's a lot for everyone to learn about this whole situation. And um, I mean, the, the NHL doesn't have a great track record with learning from folks, so I'm not that. But if someone chooses to, and they can I start really putting together they, plans for when things like this begin to get rolling. And I get that teams don't like specific players. Like I said, you know, if there is ever some sort of dust up that we have with Greenway, and you know, Greenway is also a person of color. You know, could could it devolve from our end? Yes. I hope it doesn't, but you know, like it, it could devolve into the same sort of thing where you give people an excuse for these these racistly motivated hate and 
that's not good, but it could happen. Right. I mean, it just no one wants to feel embarrassed to be supporting a team. And, you know, it's like I would be embarrassed to be a Blues fan with this whole situation. Um, and it, it, if something like that ever happened with the Avalanche where you know, something went beyond the rink and, and someone was receiving death threats and uh, comments about anything other than his play, um, I, it just, it, it's it's not a positive thing. It doesn't make you want to support the team more. I would think I the NHL it, would want um, fans to, to be glad they support a team because of the way they handle things. And I even felt gross. I didn't even want to watch Game 4. It was just exhausting. It's mentally and emotionally draining. It's It's not about the game anymore. It's sad. It's it is unfortunate. It's a lot more than unfortunate. And, and and like I said, I I really wonder why they hate him so much. I hope I it's not racially motivated, but who knows? Like every team has certain players they don't really like. Like I get that, but I mean this goes way back with Bennington swinging the stick at his head. I mean, this is some outrageous stuff that has gone on. And like I said, I get they didn't like the fall kit, but my god, there's hundreds of that stuff that happens in the league, and it sucks. But why do they feel like that was just the most profoundly important thing that had happened to them as a franchise? And that, to me, that's disturbing, really. I've had a lot of experiences with Blues fans uh, having been out to St. Louis many times and been to Avs games out there and a couple of Blues games uh, out there uh, in the Midwest, uh, even a blues game on the road. Uh, but I can, I can, I can say that I wasn't, I wasn't treated terribly differently as a person of color that happens to be an abs fan out there. What my overall point is, I don't believe that the entire fan base is riddled with racists. There's, I- there's, I don't either. I, there's there's crazies in every fan base. Yeah, there's you know they're they're passionate people. They love their team. There you know there's ba- there's horrible people everywhere. And like you mentioned about you know in, in a similar vein with 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 the, the death threats for 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 Sam, I I would feel really I would have to say are you would would anybody even think to send death threats to Ivan Barbashev over that hit? I would have to hope not. No, I, I hope he didn't either. And it, and it's like, what are you, stupid? That's just... Why would you even consider that as, as something acceptable? I don't think in those terms that I would hope an overwhelmingly large percentage of people don't think in those terms. And the fact that we have to have this conversation still, and it's gonna, it's not going to go away over... It's going to take a lot of work that we're still having to do this. It sucks, but it sucks more for the people who live that. And just to see that Kadri's family was targeted and he was targeted, just, oh, it really just makes you ill. It just makes you ill that people think this is okay, that this is acceptable behavior in the minds of people out there. Yeah, it's just a sad reminder. I mean, it it is reality every day, and... I think maybe that's another lesson to take is, you know, it, it, it takes something blowing up in a hockey game like this to, to get it, but 
I, I think that's also the message that that everyone's trying to learn is that it is an everyday thing and they, it might not be the same volume or the same intensity, but you hear it every day and it's, um, it is, it's sad. And the three years that Kadri's been here, I don't think he's been in another controversy or really a bad hit. He's taken a few dumb penalties, but to, to me, that's also incredible to, to, to paint him as like this dirty guy that, it, you know, he's out trying to hurt people. And yeah, we know the Toronto baggage, but he has not been that guy just to talk about how he was reformed just over the summer. Like he finally got the clue because of the eight game suspension. It's like, I honestly can't even remember any sort of controversial hit. You know, what was there a fan base out there really pounding the table about anything that happened? And I can't even think of anything. So right. to me, it's just amazing how it blew up like that. And that, and that's where that comment about his reputation by Bruce was such a flashpoint because that was like the the green light for people to start acting and saying these vile things. It's like words words have power. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's possible he could hit somebody in this next round and get suspended again, but it's possible Landy could too. I don't worry about it. I don't think he's on the edge. I don't I don't think like, oh god, Nas is in the corner there. He's he's about to, you know, get get the book thrown at him. I just don't it's not even a conscious worry. So it, it it's just the whole thing was just incredibly bizarre. It me. was it was bizarre. It was poorly handled on behalf of the entire Blues organization and just sad, really. It is. It it is. And I'm so glad that he had the response in game four that really put it to bed, or at least the immediacy of it. Like I said, I'm not thinking like, oh, everything's fine now. Kadri's accepted or, you know, everyone's happy now or whatever. Like I, I get that the, the issues are not put to bed, but it was just such a great <laughs> way to respond and exactly what Bednar wanted the team wanted just respond on the scoreboard and they came after him and he let them and then he put in the dagger the best way he knew how and it was satisfying and it shouldn't just be about the game because it's not about just the game it's not just about him scoring a hat trick but you know he he had the moment on the ice which no one can take away from him is he at least had that moment and um and he deserved it so it was it was really cool to see him get the hat trick in his, in his post game comments he made it very clear too that you know he had the extra motivation after what was said after game 3 and he was he also said you know it's not every you know, you know he he doesn't believe that every fan in St. Louis is 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 you know is that way and, and i think that's good too it's not about disparaging blues fans it's 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 not at all like the people could have sent messages that weren't blues fans at all it's just once the hate ball gets rolling you never know who gets going to get caught up into it so i don't believe that at all either it was pretty disgusting seeing on getty images that in game four 
multiple people standing and flipping him off. I mean, those people should be embarrassed <laughs> that you are in, you know, photos that are going to be used all around the world. And it, it's a shame that they are giving their fan base such a bad name because, yeah, I've seen plenty of fans that said, we don't agree with this, you know, donate to his foundation or donate. I don't remember the name of it, but a supportive foundation in Missouri. Uh, C-A-I-R. Yeah. And, um, you know, good for those people. Good for those people that, but it should, they shouldn't have to prove that not every, this isn't, this isn't a blues fan problem. And so, yeah, I definitely want to make that clear that I, I like that he said that. And, um, it's just unfair that their fans did it to them. The response that he had in the, in his post game. And then the response that he had on the ice was, you know, you, you, you couldn't, you couldn't write that any better than he did not at all i mean that was that was an amazing game i mean even if there was no background to this game it would have been an amazing performance but just with this backstory leading into it um one thing i i loved about one of his comments after the game was he wanted to show that you know kids that may not be as strong and used to this as he is you might have trouble dealing with this when they're growing up playing hockey. And he wanted to show that, you know, you can be strong and overcome this and, and thrive. And I like that he admitted, you know, that, that he was emotional about it and that, that it, it fueled him. And I think it, it was that moment of honesty, just admitting what, what the hate does to a person, because I know we're taught, to be strong and and not let them get to you. But I think in that moment, just him being vulnerable and being honest about it. And like Earl said, showing kids it's okay to be bothered by it. But it's also what you do after that, how you carry yourself and and um, you know, focus on your work and things like that. But that that it is okay to have have a, an emotional response about it, for sure. And it was great to see the Avs rally around him with uh, what he was going through and how supportive his teammates were and supportive that the organization was to you know ins- you know do what they could to you know keep him safe and. I think the actions go further than, as you put it, Jackie, the, you know, the, the PR response to say the, the color avalanche, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, they took action. I mean, yeah, like a t- teammates are always going to say that, you know, we're, we're supporting our, our guys, you know, this or that. But I also think it was how the organization supported him through the suspension that really let him know that they were behind him and that, it did seem very emphatic that, you know, he felt supported. Every single teammate was with him. And, you know, those things are important. Like I said, I wouldn't expect anything less because teams are always like a brotherhood, but there is sort of a special level, I guess, of, you know, if, if everybody is truly like all into it. And it gives a little bit more of an added dimension 
because we see these hockey players as hockey players, and this kind of gave a window in who these people are. And we kind of hope that they're good guys, and you know they're they you know they do things for the community and all that stuff. You kind of hope they're good guys, but this really demonstrated that they're good guys. Yeah, it's true. You never know. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I don't assume sainthood, but it, it is. It is heartwarming knowing that they can support a teammate like that for sure. So let's die, let's get back on the game track here. Game four, which we've already covered, the Nazem Kadri hat trick. Uh, Andre Burakovsky would be uh, scratched in this game for the first time all postseason. Alex Newhook would make his postseason debut. Things didn't start out so well for the Avs. They did give up the first goal of the game yet again. Uh, David <laughs> David Perron would be the uh, beneficiary of a turnover in the Avs end to put the Blues up uh, early on. Uh, the Avs would roll off three goals in uh, just about three and a half minutes. Kadri would get two. Devontae would get one. Uh, to put the Avs up uh, four to one. And then two power play goals late in the second would make it interesting for three Avs lead after two. Uh, but Kadri would complete his hat trick halfway through the third. And with Huso on the bench, uh, the ghost of Miko Rantanen would uh, reappear with his first of the postseason. Oh, no. Glad's a hater now, too. (laughs) (laughs) As win 6-3. Aside from the Nas hat trick, um, really liked EJ's goal. Um, He also had good comments in support of Kadri. Uh, He he probably had the the most profound comments, I thought. It's always good to see him get on the board and Newhook fed him for for that goal. And yeah, that was that was his only point in the two games they allowed him to play, but um that did show that Newhook was ready to contribute his game. I was surprised they put him in the lineup after a win. Yeah. I you know, I, I we were talking before the show about this. That I, I think, you know, you you nailed one of the points with um, the turnover where you're absolutely not supposed to turn it over for, for Popsky. Um And I, I just think that the long-term issue with Burakovsky being put into a situation where he has very little chance to succeed, um, you know, they, they kind of made it a little easier for them to make a substitution there. Um, I mean, it was almost like the exact same role. Like, even the power play two portion of it. So it was like yeah. just the straight up easiest thing to do is swap those two out. And it, I understand it to some extent, just because that's how they've sort of set it up. But it sucks that it's either or at this point. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, I think There's that's the, the big point. problem that we both have with this is that they they can't seem to uh, be Find able to deal way with to do it. <laughs> right. Um, and again, I just you know I, I can see from Jared Bednar's point of view, like you know we we're putting these guys on this line and it's not having a lot of success. So gee, what do we do? And you just swap them out, and you know I, I think that line worked a lot better with Newhook on the edge. And that's not saying anything against Burakovsky. I just think that's what you're asking him to do is not what he's good at. 
<clears throat> that he's a better passenger and, on, say, this. Not, maybe not passenger in, like, a negative sense, but just he doesn't have to drive play, drive a second line, but he can be there as more of a high-end finisher. Right. Is, like, the spot for him. It's, like, that's what they figured out when they got him from Washington. Because he was more of, like, a bottom six guy there, and he didn't really score that much. It's pretty funny when you look at his stats. Like, they're almost identical every year in Washington, and they're almost identical every year in Colorado. Consistent. <laughs> um. But he is, and, yeah, like, you're not going to let your $5 million 60-point forward just sit out. But why are you sitting out your – he is he is a rookie, but he played 71 games. He scored 33 points, which is, like, the exact same as Comfer, who has, like, the golden free pass for all eternity. But Newhook provided the exact same. And just because he's 21 years old, he now can't play in the playoffs. Like – at the very beginning, you're like, okay, you know, they're going to go with the bets. Like, we're three rounds deep now, and they've barely played him. Actual right, it's predictable. And I, I think the disappointing thing is that, you know, it's all right. If the top six was straight up and inviolable, they had kept it the same throughout all the games. You know, then I'd say, all right, yeah, that might make an either or situation, but. You know, it's like they've moved Nachushkin and Lekkinen and Landy and Miko and you know, basically all of those guys have been on one of the other lines at some point. You know, other than the basic thing like Kadri is the center on the second line and Mac is is on the first line, but everyone else has shuttled around a bit. I think if you take like, okay, these are our best nine forwards. Let's find a way that everybody has a role and can be productive. You know, there, there should be a way to make this work that you can get Burkowski the role he needs and you can get Newhook the playing time that you need him to have. Um, and I realize the fourth line is completely different and it's a different set of guys that are, you know, part of that. And, you know, I'm fine with that, however productive or not they are. Um, but, but I, you know, it, it's not rocket science. You can make your best lineup and have those two guys. In it. I think what a lot of people are surprised about is just how Obey Kubel is like the mainstay. And I think we all here like him. And I think it's kind of cool that he has a, I guess, quote unquote, permanent bigger role, but the expensive new hook, you know, is that the brightest idea? But it's not like he's the one that deserves to get cut either. But no. he could be probably fine on the fourth line, though. So it is just a little bit strange that they he's kind of the beneficiary of this. Not that I'm really blaming him, because like I said, I like him. So I'm not complaining about him on that line. It's just, it's funny how that worked out. I mean, they don't seem to want to play him that much, but when he does play, he is relatively effective. And, um, and they made him more of a player in their mold. You know, Bednar was complimentary of his growth. But the funny thing is, is Bednar was very complimentary of Newhook after the game he played. 
And it's funny. We've seen that before. Boy, I love this guy. He's (laughs) gone. Take him out. (laughs) I love him so much. I'm not going to play him. (laughs) It's funny when you look at like, you go to natural stat trick and you look at the analytics and new hooks sitting up there like 80%. And you're just like, you know, well, it's not that, I mean, you look at the line analytics. If you look at what that line, you know, through the first, three games did with the three guys that were on it um, sort of what they did together. And then what new hook brought as far as, you know, how that line looked in games four and five. And it, it's a pretty stark difference. Like, I mean, obviously the abs have been fairly overwhelming the whole series, so nobody looks that bad, but I mean, there's a marked difference in what that line was able to accomplish with him in the lineup versus not. Um, and I realize they look at different things and you can't really, you know, read the tea leaves on what they're looking at. But um, just but by the eye test, you're looking at it like, all right, these guys are playing a lot more of the ice. It's not a perimeter line like it was when Burkowski was on it. And it was kind of funny. It seemed like either or with the third, fourth line, which I haven't quite figured out why that is. If it was a matchup thing or, you know, only three lines really going to be that successful, but it was good. Even in the game yeah. that New Hope didn't score in the second one he played in. Well, the blues didn't have a fourth line until the fifth game. Was that the one where? Right. Yeah. I they, think the they last started two. playing 12 and six. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that probably changed it. All right. So it's like the Ruby can start rolling four lines again. You know, maybe, maybe that's part of it. I don't know, but. And maybe that's, you know, something that Bednar noticed in game five. It's like, all right, you know, we're going to have to make some adjustments here. And, you know, I, I just, I, I don't think it went the right way. It's just you look at who played a lot in game six, and yeah, Confer had two goals, but he really didn't play much. No, they played the fourth line just as much as the third line in game six. They played more. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I mean, it's like Confer's line was basically the fourth line in game six. But it was like I was pretty much just going to like pound the table if they had lost, you know, either game three or four to get New Hook in the lineup. Because the funny thing is, that's when he scored his first NHL goal last year, was in the playoffs when they were playing in St. Louis. The and first game they scratched Vegas. him, they lost to to Vegas, and they never got it back. And both him and Jack Johnson talked about, like, they had been sitting for so long that it is tough. Because you don't, I think Johnson kind of explained it well, you you just don't know where what your level is at. Because it's been so long, and now it's the playoffs, you just have nothing to gauge yourself against. So it's like, it's great they have all these extra players, but they never want to use them because they have their ideal lineup and they're just there basically so they don't have to use somebody from the Eagles. To me, I think it'd be more effective to like work guys in, you know, if you've identified certain guys that are going to rotate, like do a rotation. That's fine for the forwards, but in Jack Johnson's case, like you're not taking any of those six guys out until Sam got injured. Right. 
So I mean, that's. Tough. I mean, I guess EJ would have been on the table before that he showed that he was he has played really well. But I guess yeah. before the playoffs had started, that might have been the thought because people were still thinking that like Murray was going to play fairly soon, and that's the only way that that would have happened was if EJ gets rotated out. I know some of the haters out there thought that Sam should take a seat so they could play Ryan Murray, but that was one thousand percent ever going to happen. I mean, they never take EJ out to play Ryan Murray. They play, they play different roles. Um, well, I mean, I've been saying all this time that they really they would don't take like Byron Murray. out to play Murray. I mean, that's that's basically the choice you would have to make. And obviously, Byron has played well enough that that's just not even a consideration right now. But you know, it's a it's a role thing. Like if they're going to take EJ out, they put. Jack Johnson in his place, and well, right. You know, obviously, I mean, they didn't want to do that, and with good reason. I mean, at the beginning of the playoffs, I would have said, you know, that's that's possible. Like, I always knew they liked Jack Johnson better than Murray, so he was going to be the next guy up. If EJ was still pretty iffy, you know, maybe do that kind of thing. But you, they could also play seven D. Like, if they just wanted to make sure that Jack Johnson was a little bit more fresh. They could have taken out one of the fourth liners. Yeah, play Jack Johnson instead of Burkowski. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God forbid. I'm glad that we also didn't see the inexplicable appearance of Dermot after game three. <clears throat> yeah. He did take pregame warm-ups uh, for game five, but I know, like, is he next on the list? <laughs> I think they just like him out there. <laughs> He's gotta get maybe, the flow. Maybe, maybe he can intimidate from warm-up, and, like, that that's enough to do the magic, right? Yeah. That's how yeah, tough he maybe. is. Yeah. It's true. So tough, he doesn't even need to throw a punch. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll we'll see where this new hook thing goes. It's... Doesn't seem like he's going to start against Edmonton. No. And ho- hopefully he doesn't take a top nine getting hurt to get him in. I mean, we don't want to see that. We don't want to see anybody get hurt. It's nice having a guy like him as your next man up, but, you know, he, he makes them better. It is. It, it sucks that you can't just figure out how to put him in the lineup. Shouldn't be that hard. I don't know. I, I had some thoughts on this. Like, I, I was fine with him sitting out during the Nashville series and maybe even parts of this series. Um, and I know, it, like Johnson said, it's tough to gauge your readiness when you're not playing. But, you know, I, I think the questions that just in general one would have about a rookie is is sort of your durability and strength and you know with with new hook size that that even example from you know if he's fresh and able to come in at some point later in the playoffs you know, maybe that's a secret weapon kind of thing and that's me being totally optimistic about this but um well i mean it's great that he's the next man up like, yeah, to have that but it just if you have a fully healthy and speedy Alex Newhook to inject life into a series later on in the playoffs, 
that's a lot better than playing Alex Newhook against the Predators and having him beat up and just kind of useless the rest of the time. So, I mean, if it were me, I would have done way more of a rotation. Yeah. Because yeah. if you if he hardly plays and then all of a sudden you need him, you need him. Like there's no kind of gauge, you know, just sort of using him lightly. Let's just put it that way. There's then he's in and you're playing and you're playing every night. So it, it to me, it is silly that he didn't play against Nashville at all, but you know, this is the way they want to roll it. So, <laughs> but you just, you just really wonder. I don't think it's that they, they're down on him. No. But it just makes you wonder about his role. Just knock that up, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, like I, I think it's going to be a mystery. But it's you know, again, it's the Avs, and it's you know, like O'Connor was getting the same treatment because of his age, and. Well, I think O'Connor is somebody that shouldn't play every game anyway. I like him much more as a changeup, and he has done some good things. He's he scored a goal. He set up a couple good ones. But for him, he's a guy where it's a, totally about energy level. He's he's a guy that I want to sit out a game or two and then just be like, here, you can have the four check monster. Have fun. Right. And, you know, most teams are doing things like this. So, you know, what they're doing with him makes a little more sense. So, but yeah, if it's, it depends why, right? If, if it's because they recognize what I always say, then that's great. If it's like what you said, it's just, he's the youngest, easiest to take out. I mean, you'd almost think, isn't Kubel the easiest to take out? I mean, the guy was from waivers. Like nobody even blinks an eye if you take that guy out of the lineup. I mean, me, in all like, honesty, like the only reason O'Connor's playing is because of injuries. Like he played when Cogliano got hurt, and now Stern's hurt, and I mean, I on. guess we'll see. It's it's not like he's hurt, hurt. He's hurt. Stern? <laughs> he's yeah. hurt enough that he can't hang on to the puck one bit. I mean, like he can block a shot and maybe you know bunt the puck somewhere, but it, it it's become pretty obvious that he, he can't do anything with the puck and he wasn't that great to begin with so i mean i don't disagree that's probably what it is but he's on the ice he's practicing you know what i mean like sam is obviously hurt like he is not on the ice yeah everybody else is so i mean that's the tough thing especially Sam is injured sperm is hurt (laughs) okay then that's a fair distinction but you wonder about some of the guys. Like, Taze has to be hurt, right? Or he just lost his mind. Um, you know, Miko, it's been way too long. He just doesn't... I, mean, I was on the train of, like, Miko's not a ghost. He just is effective when you don't notice it. But he has not been himself. Yeah. But I mean, he's I just, up a lot of points that people aren't giving him credit for, but... Um, yeah, I think both. There are true. a lot like, of plays where he's just even more pillow soft than normal. <laughs> and that that Landy conserving every ounce of 
or every second of his time on ice to devote to a game and he can't even practice anymore. I mean, that's a concern. So you have to know it at this point that probably at least half the roster is dealing with something legitimate, but you just don't know. Like what if, yeah. what if say Byram is, but we don't know because he's playing well. So it's, I mean, they say this time of year, everyone's dealing with something. Uh, right. And so I just hate it because if it's something that's more known, you're more willing to give a guy a bit of a pass for it. Or if we ever hear any information after the season, it won't come from the team, but so-and-so's having surgery, then you're like, oh, well, I guess that explains why he didn't have a hand or couldn't skate. Right, but. and if Miko actually did have mono, as has been suspected, um, <laughs> you know that's something that takes like weeks to come back from. Not, you know, the, the week and a half he took off, and it's, you know, it, it's a very sapping disease. Is that more of a joke? I didn't think that was like a legitimate speculation. I mean, it makes sense. Because, I mean, it's not like he's, it's not like someone said they noticed him favoring a leg the other night. And like, okay, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe it's a problem with the back or whatever. But um, It's just like he has no strength. I mean, a lot of people are giving him shit just because it looks like he's not giving his full effort on the ice. And it's just, it's easy to fit that into the mononucleosis narrative. But yeah, it looks like he's he's lost his strength, which is kind of bizarre, but... It definitely coincided with that illness. Right. So, I mean, you know, because it, it, I felt like maybe it's played- mono, maybe it's something like that. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, viruses that are in that family that do the same thing. Um, because I liked how he played the whole season. I liked, I always say I liked how he played against Vegas. He was one of the few that was effective. So right. I'm more willing to say there has to be something going on with him. But like I said, it, it's a little unfair to point at guys that look like they're struggling more than others. And then some guys just say, oh, well, that guy just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't know. Maybe he's dealing with something, too. All we know, Burkowski might be dealing with something. Yeah. We don't know about any of them. The goalie with an eye. It's really hard to figure it out. <laughs> I don't think Kemp... Honestly, I do not think it's because Kemper can't see anymore. If he truly couldn't, he should not be on the ice. If yeah, he's having vision issues. I mean, I know that we talked before the show about Markstrom is so obviously struggling. You have to pull the plug. But if there is any concern at all about Kemper's vision, you cannot play him. Like, how irresponsible is that? I mean, he did make any saves on the left side of the ice, so... (laughs) (laughs) Then I guess they're making their bed. Right. He's using the force, and it's working okay for now. (laughs) Uh, Earl, thanks for reminding me that Eric Johnson not only played in this game... (laughs) I'm almost considering purchasing an EJ jersey. That's how good he's playing. Wow. 
Well, he is number six, and you know that's my favorite number. So, yeah, but he's—I mean, he's always been one of my favorite guys on the team. You know, it, it pains me to see him struggle, and you can forget about him for long periods of time when he's not playing and stuff like that. But um, just as a public thanks, I through the many years that he's been on the team, um, he's always been a great guy to listen to speak and just watching him through these playoffs play you know better than we've really seen him in years it's, you know it's awesome yeah i think it's a lot of things i think i mean he even said it's motivation is why he's playing so well because he he was healthy all year and then i also think byron's a help too yeah i mean i think I, I think those guys have a great relationship in that, you know, I, I mean, like EJ's played with a lot of the younger defensemen, obviously, but it's just, you know, this is the first year he's been helping the whole time and Spiram's, you know, more or less rookie year. Um, second half of it, at least. And I just think that, you know, they're both kind of, I think they're similar personalities. Like EJ's always got a great sense of humor, and we know Bo does too. I think that you know is sort of a good synergy between the two. Right and left-handed styles mesh well. I think it's sort of a case where where Byram could have definitely given EJ some depth and some some big energy for you know this season and now in the playoffs for sure. Yeah, it is a good match. And it was kind of funny when Byram said, when they first really started playing together, oh, I love playing with EJ. Like, what is he going to say? But, yeah, maybe now you, like, believe it a little bit more. Like, they yeah. do seem to mesh well. Making old man jokes about him and stuff like that. <laughs> if EJ doesn't name a horse after him this summer, oh, I, didn't even I think don't know what's that. up. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That would be awesome. <laughs> and Jackie, thank you for reminding me that Jack Johnson filled in for the injured Sam Gerard in this game because I also didn't have that in my notes. That's okay. There was a lot of stuff in this game. <laughs> there was a lot going on in this series. We didn't even talk about Perron and everybody piling on Nas after the second goal. I think I did a little, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, just, that was more important to them than winning the game. Right. That was just such a, a totally dumb thing to do. Um, Especially given that the, the comments before game four were not focused on getting back at anybody. There's retributions not on our mindset. And here comes Prawn off the top rope with the elbow. Right. And it's like you're, you know, you're losing in the game. Um, you know, you're down two one in the series, and that's your response. Give give up a five on three. <laughs> nice going, asshole. <laughs> it was so nice they made him pay. I think it was after the five on three. Yeah, it was like five seconds after, but you know. but at least they <laughs> they made him pay, and at least it was Nas. And he said as much in his post game too that you know <laughs> we'll make you pay, <laughs> which is 
just perfect how it went like that. Because let's say they start doing all the dumb stuff and you don't make them pay, then it almost encourages it, right? Because then they're getting away with it. Right. But to just get that score five seconds later, whatever, but you still, you still had to sacrifice a goal on the scoreboard. It just shows just how completely stupid it was. And I, I think, think that was probably the last time. <laughs> that was probably the last time they tried to pull that kind of crap too. Is uh, after Nas got the second one, right? Well, that clearly didn't work. And then they did legitimately have that push at the end of the second, where they got the two goals, and that was from them playing, you know, hockey again. But it wasn't enough. Well, they did pretty much gift wrap the uh, the net for both Landeskog and Lekanen in that third period, where that cage was wide open enough after the goalie pull went wrong. And Lennox Cog said, thank you very much. I'll take that. And, that and was that hilarious. Le- the Lekkonen goal was was the one... Was this the one that Byram had the two-on-one with Lekkonen? Was that a different game? That was uh, a different group. That was, uh, yeah, that was game three. That was game three. Yeah. yeah. This was, see, it was the Miko goal. A memorable one at that. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Lekkonen's been productive. We don't really talk about him. A whole lot. He likes it that way. I mean, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was great to go up three to one, win both games in St. Louis. We answered the cadre controversy with the best revenge possible. And then and we had games. Called- yeah, things were looking pretty good. Just thought we'd go back home. We'd never have to go back to that town again. Not so fast. But wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> Game five would see the Avs give Nazem Kadri a hero's welcome. And Nathan McKinnon would seize that energy right out of the gates or the game's goals in the period. Gabe Landeskog would put the Avs ahead 3-0 three, three in the second, but a three-goal rally off goals by Vladimir Tarasenko. Robert Cairo would even things late in the third. And then Nathan McKinnon would go end-to-end, beating out the entire complement of Blues players on the ice. Getting a shot high up past Villahuso to complete the hat-trick and putting the Avs back on top four three. Undoubtedly. And they weren't leading before that, so it was really late in the period and they hadn't played small things yet. So they did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. You know, I just, I was really nervous about this game and maybe just closing it out or I don't know what it was, but after they went up two to nothing, I was just kind of like, you know, maybe I don't need to watch the rest of this. And I saw the bad parts. So I didn't really save myself from a lot of it. I just, I don't know. I, 
almost could feel it coming. Like the turtle was coming, and then they went up three to nothing, and you're just like, you know, that has to be enough, right? <laughs> and you could just see it on the Corsi chart. It was almost like the peak of a mountain. It just started going down, 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 down. Well, all right, all right. This is like what happened was is the Blues came out in the third. And they had a pretty good push. They weren't getting any shots off or you know, really creating any danger. But they were in the Avs end. But then the Avs pushed back, and they had a couple really good shifts. Um, and then they kind of had one bad one, and that's when Thomas's first goal happened. And I think, obviously, like, the Bozak goal was bad. Uh, like, you just don't want to see that goal going in in overtime in the playoffs. But, you know, the the sec the first Robert Thomas goal, which was the the Blues' second goal of the game, I think was savable, and I really would have wanted Kemper to have that one. And I really don't see that as much. I mean, yeah, he was. That was just a real rally killer, and I think all but... the pain that happened afterwards stemmed from that. I think that was the one where he there was three guys around him and nobody was covering him in the slot, which, you know, that's pretty high danger. So I don't know. I'm a little on the fence there. There was a lot of net open. Sorry. Yeah. And you gotta you have to make a save at some point. Right. I believe that too. Like a you know, conspiracy I saw theory here. That was the side with his bad eyes, so... No, I just... <laughs> I... No, I, I'm not buying into that at all. Like, if he can't see, put in Frank. I believe yeah. in Frank. He's more than capable enough. I like Frank with eyesight better than Kemper without eyesight. Let's just put it that way. Right, I don't and think everybody it was eyesight should. either. I mean, I, but that, that, that was just... <laughs> That was the kind of goal that you really you don't want to see because it, it it really did give the Blues fire. Like I think that allowed the Blues to really start rolling, and, and that led to Kairou's goal and, and the pain that, that happened after the amazing play by Nate. And I will say, I watched this game on delay um, because I get up very in the, early in the morning to work. Um, so I'm watching it and I like, I see Nate make that play and I'm like, Oh my God, that's like the best goal ever. And like the stands are roaring and small things play and everybody's smiling. And you know, the, <laughs> even the commentators that I, I get the sports net feed when I watch it on demand and even the commentators are like, Oh, the abs have this wrapped up. They'll be playing Edmonton. And got you. <laughs> And I'm just like, oh my god, it's like, how terrible is it going to be in the next minute? <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> you know, I haven't recorded, I haven't deleted it yet. I might, maybe like later on down the road, kind of, you know, watch it back. <laughs> it's just so tough to see everyone so happy like that, knowing that it's all going to end in another minute, you know? <laughs> We had no idea at the time, Earl. We had no idea. No, I'm glad I was prepared for it. Like, if that had happened in real time, I don't think I could have handled it. <laughs> Let me tell I you. <laughs> like I said, I saw the bad parts. I saw the uh, 
the the tying goal and, and the extra attacker and it's just uh yeah. And and Landy almost getting the empty net but not shooting it. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people a lot of people were giving him shit for that, but it's like he was three feet from the red line. It's like, you know, I get not going for the, you know, not wanting to ice the puck. And that was, you know, that was the smart play. But with hindsight, <laughs> should have shot it. And then, yeah, like six on five does work sometimes. It's worked for us. But just leaving Thomas uncovered like that, it's just. Yeah. 56 seconds. 56 seconds. Yeah, I was done at that point, but I turned it on for overtime. I did see all of overtime. Thomas with the tying goal at 56 seconds, and then Tyler Bozak in overtime from the high slot. 5-4, Avs lose. Series goes back to St. Louis for Game 6. And I cannot tell you how quickly all of that air was sucked out of that arena. It's as if no, the I arena was it was <laughs> as if the arena was the International Space Station and somebody opened an airlock. It went out that fast. I mean it's the, the only thing that like I was at a game seven in Washington once versus Pittsburgh. And that was back when their rivalry really started. Like those teams hate each other. This was loud. They had decibel meters on the walls and they're going up to like 108. I mean, it was just so loud. And as the third period went on, like the Caps were definitely losing it. And just the air going out of that building was terrible. But it, it, it wasn't like a 56 seconds left kind of thing. I mean, that's just beyond tragic. So when you say the air went out, was it at the tying goal or the overtime goal? It was at the overtime goal. Cause, okay. Cause there was cause, still hope at that that point. Yeah, there was still yeah. a current. There was still a current in the air when uh, Huso was on the bench and they hadn't tied it yet. There was still that those last lingering shreds of hope that are always the most painful to let go when you're in a situation where it's not looking the best and then that happens. So. But I mean, I know that they've been good in overtime. So, but you just felt like the momentum yeah. of that moment. It's just like they, I mean, up until that last shift, they were pretty much dominating. They had two really good chances. I mean, you know, you felt pretty good about it. <laughs> and then. <laughs> <laughs> Someone puts a fungo in. <laughs> and I didn't think it was like Bednar going so conservative. Like, that's how they won game three and four was. Yeah, they play a little bit more conservative, like every single team does. But they're, they weren't putting the bets out. Bednar doesn't want them to stop shooting the puck and creating chances. Well, usually... Usually, the first five minutes of an overtime period, both teams kind of go for it because you're just you're losing, you're really depleted in energy. And generally, the, the last fifteen minutes of an overtime period, you're you're kind of waiting for somebody to make a mistake. But the first five minutes, when you have your energy, you try to attack, and that's what the Avs did. I mean, they 
I don't know what else they could have done to start off that overtime period. No, that, yeah, overtime was fine. But it's like, you know, how? why did they collapse? Why did they have a 3 to nothing lead? And... And lost the game. And it's a good thing it ended up not mattering. But I think they probably are better for having experienced it and knowing that it can happen and why. But, I mean, this team is, like, automatic when you get up three to nothing. I think I think someone said this was the first time in Avs franchise history they lost a playoff game when they were up three to nothing. Like, it just doesn't happen. So why did it happen? <clears throat> well, all right. Just I didn't bad like goaltending. Like, I I mean I really don't think so. Like again, like I said, I didn't like the Thomas goal, the first one. Um, obviously, the second Thomas goal, the the knife in the heart was bad coverage. Um, Kyrie's goal, like. You know, I, I I wouldn't put that on Kemper either. You know, Tarasenko's goal was a rocket. There's nothing you can do about that. It's obviously, you know, you want him to save the Bozak goal. But... So, yeah, I mean, I hope they figure it out because were they just too nervous? Was the moment too big? Was I mean, there's another team on the ice facing elimination. Like, I mean, obviously the Blues wanted to win that game really, really, really bad. You know, I don't think it's something like you should be worried that the Blues, you know, wanted it more or something like that. I don't think it's what it came down to. You know, it's like you're playing a good team. You're in the second round of the playoffs and they have a lot of firepower and you know, it ended up working out for them. Yeah, I mean... That's kind of how I felt with game two, but I mean, it was just such a collapse. Like it wasn't just, you know, a good team got a goal. And the the funny thing is that was the f- only game of the series the Avs scored first. Yeah, I know. I noticed that too. <laughs> and It's really weird. Maybe I mean, they should just let Perron score first and get that out of the way and then <laughs> go on with their business, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so was it that they just maybe thought the fight was over? Maybe they didn't realize the Blues were going to push so hard? Well, it was almost like the last game. Like, I'll, you know, like I'm fine with them having, you know, being behind going into the third period. Well, at the end of the day, these are good things. Like, it's good that they don't have an auto loss. They don't get the first goal because I know in the past it kind of felt that way. Like, hey, if they score first, they're golden, but the other team scores first. Like, it's tough because, I like Ben always says, losing ho- or catch-up hockey is like losing hockey. It's just, it's harder for you to execute what you want to do when the other team has a lead. So, it's I think it's a good sign that, that the Blues had the lead so often, but you also just don't want to make it a habit of losing. <laughs> giving up the first goal in the game. Well, also, I mean, all right, just, you know, watching the other series, like St. Louis is as dangerous or maybe even more dangerous than any other team I've seen. 
um, as far as the way they're able to score. Like, that's what they do. They're really good at it. Like, their defense obviously was, you know, a little decimated with not having Scandella and, and until midway through the series and then not having crew for the whole thing. <clears throat> so they weren't as defensively good as, as we could have expected with a healthy team, but their offense, you know, they, they weren't allowed to be in the offensive zone that much, but when they were, it was, you know, it was a dangerous situation. You know, they have a lot of skill in that team. Yeah, I mean, I I think they're pretty good too. Like this, this should have been a matchup at least a round later. Really should have. Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy to easy to say that now after looking at the way the Pacific went. Um, well, I just knew that second round matchup. Even if it was Minnesota, it would have been tough. I don't think it would have been this tough. Like well, Minnesota, they present a different kind of problem. Like they have different. one guy that's amazing, and then a yeah. bunch of guys that try to hit everything. Anti. But yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as an aside, I really wonder how he feels. You know, watching this, watching the Avs advance, because <laughs> it hasn't been long enough for it to just be like, oh, that's my old team, whatever. You know what I mean? Like he was an Av up two months ago for a long time. And should, I, I'm sure as soon as he got the phone call, he's like, well, there goes my name off the cup. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, I've listened to his comments a few times and you know, he, he fancies himself as like a top six guy. He wants to be a top six center and I think we all would say good luck with that, but there is such a thing as a fresh start and you never know. I just, I just don't think he's good enough for that, but there's nothing wrong with getting another look somewhere else. So I think to that extent, he wanted, yeah, like he wanted, he wants the opportunity to prove that he's the 10th overall that can be, you know, good. And so I think from that extent, like, he was happy about that and that's what he wanted. I wonder if he kind of, I wouldn't say asked for a trade, but I think let it be known that he fancies himself as better. But right now it's got to be a kick in the nuts, right? <laughs> it depends. I mean, I, I think if he's looking at like, all right, this is Minnesota. They've got some good bones here. They're probably going to have, you know, to get rid of some guys or, or shuffle some stuff around just to make the numbers work over the next couple of years while they deal with the buyouts. Um, so it's, it's sort of a rebuild, but you're not like rebuilding a bad team. You're just rebuilding a bad cap situation. Oh yeah. I think they will give him that opportunity. I don't know if it's going to work, but yeah, I think a lot of guys can benefit from a fresh start. But it's just, it's funny. No one's even really talked about him, which doesn't really matter. But it's just, he was an ab for a long time. I don't know. It's just kind of didn't like funny him to me. <laughs> <laughs> Tuesdays have never been the same. 
It's true. Did you notice now that we, they, they now put we just the abs put up the graphic with Edmonton versus Colorado saying it started on Tuesday and everything and they didn't put Barry's picture on. They're not <laughs> no, doing they Tyson Tuesdays during these playoffs. No, no. I'd be real I'd be pissed if they do that, honestly. But <laughs> no, now they just think Tay's covering his face is like the greatest social media bit of all time. And it's like <laughs> no. <laughs> There's Macar with puppies, though. They were taken in the practice facilities parking lot. They haven't even bothered to Photoshop out the cars. <laughs> even when there's grass and trees, like about fifty feet away, but you can only do it in the parking lot. <laughs> and have that be our PetSmart sponsored photography. But I digress. <laughs> That's right. All right. So the Avs did eventually win this series. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in six games, even. <laughs> so in that game six, Andre Barakovsky would return to the lineup and Alex Newhook would sit once more. And for the final time, the Avs give up the first goal of the game. This time to Justin Falk with one minute remaining in the first period after a very solid effort to uh, kick off this game six. They say in the playoffs, the unsung heroes create memories. JT Comper's number. He answered the call not once, but twice. Once in the second to tie the game at one and again on the third on a power play to tie the game at two after Jordan Cairo finished a two on one rush courtesy of a turnover at the Avs blue line by Jack Johnson. Oops. And well played by Josh Manson, I say. <laughs> Not. Kyrou had a golden opportunity to put the Avs down by two, as Darcy Kemper hilariously overcommitted on his and Josh Manson valiantly covered the open cage, stopping Kyrou's bid. This game seemed destined for overtime until the goal of the series would be scored in nothing short of dramatic fashion. Eric Johnson would make a pass for Logan O'Connor into the blue zone with time winding down in regulation. O'Connor would find a wide open Darren Helm, who would fire a shot past Vila Husa with 5.6 seconds remaining in regulation to give the Avs a 3-2 lead. The Blues would take one final desperate shot on goal, which Darcy Kemper would easily handle and toss aside as time expired giving the Avs a well-deserved 3-2 victory and clinching the series four games to two. And as we said at the top of the show, for the first time in 20 years, the Avs would head to the Western Conference Finals. Second round demons now fully exercised. And now we get to confront the conference finals demons, which probably most people don't remember, but are way worse than the second round demons. <laughs> At least they got there, right? At least. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I always feel more zen before it starts, and then you're just like pulling your hair out. But at least it's another step. <laughs> It was. I mean, I think it definitely was a mental hurdle they had to get over. I mean, I think the mainstream hockey media really just gave them no shot whatsoever to win this series um, based 
solely upon the fact that they, you know, had choked the last couple times. Um, and then a lot of teams go through this. I mean, obviously, like Washington's a great example that they couldn't get over the second round hurdle for years. Um, but it was three years, right? So, like, this was the Avs' fourth year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it happens. Um, but it's just it's it's odd that you know you have a team that's you know every team has a certain amount of turnover, even the Avs. Um, it's not the same team as last year or the year before or the year before that. I mean, yes, you know, McKinnon and Landeskog are, are still the, the mainstays that have been through it all. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a different team, uh, way I mean, different season. I mean, they weren't playing the Ducks every night this year. I mean, it's like they had a little bit more competition. They, you know, I think this year's team is a lot better than last year's team. Um, even though Florida managed to fall ass backwards into the president's trophy, maybe with the blessing of the abs. I don't know, but they sure didn't try to win anything. <laughs> Worked out well for them, too. Yeah. Um, so... This is I mean, uh, if if they had if they had collapsed again, which by the way, thank God we're not watching Game Seven right now. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. I'm but, so glad to spend a Sunday night talking with you all rather than butting my nails watching the team. I yeah. would be stewing in a vat of my own loathing the fact that this went Game Seven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we just no, I mean, and, that damn empty net goal and. It away, but um, I just w- wouldn't have had answers. I don't know if they would have just collapsed and been out again. I, I, it just would have been really hard to. That's the dreading, like every minute spent thinking about just, the team until training camp. Yeah, the, the critics of Bedner would have come rolling in saying he needs to get fired going to get traded. Temper Cannon, he's gone. Sam Gerard is this or that, or we need to do this. Oh, no, 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 no. Do you think they would have traded McKinnon if they had bombed out again? No, but I would have talked about it. <laughs> um, I, I think that would be I think that would be a very real conversation. I think I don't I honestly don't think they would do it, but I think it Yeah, it, it's more real or it needs to be more real. But we'll see. I mean, they also have I don't think it is cup. now. Like they could lose to the Oilers and I, I don't think that, that has any major ramifications. But if they had I mean, like, lost this series, I do think that Things well, such I, as trading McKinnon rather than trying to sign him long term would have been thought about very heavily. I think it also depends. I mean, yes, you're going to have a lot of the hysterics, like nothing's ever going to change. You have to do hopes. A bunch of that has been washed away with getting further, but. If they don't win this round, there are going to be criticisms. There are going to be 
what do they need to do to take the next step, blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. I mean, you know, to, to go back to what I was alluding to, I mean, the Avs lost four different conference final series during the glory years. Um, that was their bug in the room, just because they didn't play in a real division. It's like, um, but like the McKinnon thing, it depends how he plays in this next round. And I don't think he's going to be able to hide, especially since they've been hyping the crap out of this McKinnon versus McDavid, if he does nothing in the next round. It's not just that. I mean, I, I think the, the fear if they had bombed out of this round would be that he would just say, like, look, I, you know, this isn't working. You know, I, I think it's better for both of us if we part ways. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know. I haven't really thought of it like that, but you know, it. <laughs> I think you should see it's not that easy just to get traded to another team and have a better shot. Hi, Matthew Shane. Paging Jack Eichel is what I was thinking. Right, but of. if you have the same <laughs> outcome year after year after year and you're the main guy, you're like, you know... Yeah, but what if it? it's not because... You showed up and put up. The, I, it the really doesn't matter why. Did. It's just the, it's, the outcome is all that, that gets put in the record books, and that's all that people remember. But as a per, I mean, I would hope that he wouldn't ask out because as a person, he should realize that he could have done way more. And it, it wasn't just this year. I mean, the hero game was awesome, but still. He didn't do anything in the other games. And I know analytically, like, the line was generating chances. They were winning their matchup. Like, that stuff's important, too. But yeah, the they destroyed the- O'Reilly. I mean, I, I have no problem with any <laughs> The truth of the matter is, <clears throat> it's an ongoing concern, and the stage is only going to get bigger. Like, he can't have just one good game in this round upcoming. And I'm not saying he needs to carry. I'd be fine with zero good games. I mean, honestly, if he, if he and McDavid cancel each other out, that's a win for the abs. I mean, (laughs) okay. If they win the series, we don't care how it happens. Right. But if they win the, I mean, like if they cancel each other out, that's giving the team the best chance to win. Cause it's like you go beyond that. The abs are much better than the, I mean, if you're thinking about the abs and thinking about the team and what the the team as a collective are accomplishing, sure. But if you're thinking about giving the guy $12 million and he's not the one contributing, I think you have to think about that. Well, if he's shutting down the other guy that makes $12 million, that seems okay to me. Would that, would that be just because of him? Would it be because of his line mates? Would it be because of the defensemen? Would it be because Kemper's playing great? Is it just because of him? I don't... I mean, I'm sure they have ways of determining. <laughs> I'm just saying he's got to have to do more. He really, truly has to do more. And I know if, Miko's on that list. Mac has Mark. like three points in this series, and McDavid has like three points, and the Avs win. I think they call that a win. No, as an Avs fan, yes, you call that a win. You don't care... If Cogliano and Helm and Comfort are the only goal scorers and they win and they move on the Stanley Cup, of course not. You would take anything. But, 
you know, are you going to pay $12 million for him to not be that guy? And I, like I said, I mean, I know, that would really depend on what would happen in the final. And I know that that list isn't just him. Like, Miko has to do something. McCarr has to have a better series. Taze has to have a better series. Kemper has to play better. So it's not just he has to be better, but like I've said, he's had a pretty long history of not great second rounds, except for in the bubble. So I don't think he's answered those questions yet. And how the rest of these playoffs go will determine how I feel about is he should you just blank check him $12 million. I mean, I, I think they kind of have to. It's not like they really have a choice. But like you said, I think it's more of a real conversation than a lot of people would admit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been... I, in, from now on, we're in uncharted territory with this group of players. Um, you know, obviously, this is the first time in 20 years that they've been involved in a conference. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I it, it, without having any idea how the next round or hopefully two goes, I think it's tough to to project that in now. And I think the main goal for this year was to get where they are right now. So right now they're they're just adding gravy dessert. I guess that's another question. Like, have they quote unquote proven it? Is this good enough? Or does it depend how the series goes? You know, or is it cup or bust, which I believe doesn't exist, but... There's four teams left. Well, we Why not also, them? We could also say the same thing about the Oilers. They haven't been in a conference final since 2006. Right. Yeah, I think the matchup is going to be a, a lot different. You, you had St. Louis who... I do think at the end of the day, they were a little bit underrated. And their experience... They won the cup, you know, this or that. I think those things are important. I mean, and the Oilers the, the are... The team that we saw in this series is, is not the team that they had for the cup. <clears throat> but I guess, I guess we haven't really finished, like, the game yet and the series yet. So, like you said, they're, they're a lot more skilled. And I think you could tell that, that they didn't lean on their hitting everybody, big guys, that they've evolved Yeah, I mean, this too. was not a physical series at all. And it made, I, it made them better for them to not be leaning on that. They were a much more dangerous team. And they should have closed that game out. When they had the lead, they scored. Right, they had the 2 to nothing lead, right? I'm not losing my mind. They no, two, two one. to one. Two one. Two yeah, two one, one lead going into the third. They in blew third, it. Third, they should have shut it down. And I do think it was a really mature way for the Abs to stick with it, come back in that game because it would have been so easy just to be like, we played well, but we just didn't get the balances. Yeah, I mean, if you if you want to break down St. Louis's team, I mean, I, I think they're going to be really happy with. Sort of Kairu and Thomas, you know, transitioning from being the young guys to, you know, being full-time contributors. You know, it's like those guys, I know they're, you know, in the organization um, for the cup run, but they weren't, you know, they weren't, they were more like fourth liners rather than, 
you know, guys making big contributions. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, as much as I hate Barbershev for killing Sam, like, you know, he's a, a good young player. Um, so it's like they have – they're not an old team that's just old and bad and now they got to do something to tear their team up. Like, you know, they can keep O'Reilly and Perron and the old guard and, you know, now they're adding the younger players and you know, still keeping up um, sort of that second roundish level of competition. Um, you know, what they need is defense, obviously. Like, I know they've had some draft picks that didn't work out. You know, they've tried to add free agents like Krug and Scandella to, to balance that out, but it's like their defense is bad. You know, that's what's holding them back. And then they just look at Pernovich as sort of like an offensive specialist, which is not the way you do it anymore. You don't have your one offensive D. Like, they all kind of have to be. Yeah, I mean, they don't play like this the way the Avs do, but I mean, their defense isn't built like. I mean, when you're using like Callie Rosen and Bertuzzo and Mikola and, and guys like that, I mean, it's just. You know, you just don't have the firepower back there. Like, I think Perunovic could be good. Like, he was injured for the whole year. Like, what was his first game? Like, halfway through the first round? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Yeah, he hadn't played since like January, so. You know, that I mean, that's tough for a young player to come into that situation and be, like, fully integrated and things like that. So, you know, I think he's decent. I don't, you know, I, I don't know if he's, like, able to be, you know, is he a Tyson Berry or is he more like a Byro? You know, I don't think he's a Byro. But, um, I think he's better than, like, a Berry. So, I mean, I think he could be a, a good two-way defenseman in the future. I think Huso played well in game six, at least. Like, it wasn't really his fault. I mean, the Helms goal was kind of wacky, but he just didn't see it. Like, it was just shot in the perfect the perfect spot, and, and he didn't see it. But that's also what was so weird about the Bennington hysteria is, like, yes, he, he had taken the net back, and he was playing well. And a big part of that was when you – make 50 some saves a game yeah your stats are gonna look amazing and like he was playing well i don't think he was like standing on his head completely stealing games you know like the abs hit the post like we said yeah and who still played the first three games of the minnesota series so it's yeah, not I like mean, Bennington had been doing it like the whole playoffs or either Huso played 40 regular season games, too. Like, he was their starter yeah. for a long time. So when it was like, oh, you just beat our backup, it's like, <laughs> that that's not the way to characterize him. And I'll be really interested to see what happens with him as a UFA because he could definitely walk away, and he should certainly think about it after they just pretty much acted like they were putting an AHLer back in net with, with Bennington gone. And after O'Reilly just, drove over him like a into a Tim Hortons. <laughs> well, it's not just that. It's like they just ditched him for Bennington and went, you know, and it's not a great situation anyway. Just like, obviously, Bennington has the big contract and he's not going anywhere. So it's like, if you're Huso, like, 
But yeah, like, it's like they did nothing. To my build best them option up. is to be a one A with a really expensive co goaltender. I mean, no. yeah, there's plenty of options, plenty of teams that could use a goalie right now. But they should have focused their efforts on building him up, being like, "Oh, we love Huso. I mean, look, look at what he did for us. That, he, his stats were way better. Didn't he have like a nine nineteen or something? I mean, just being like, look at how good this guy is. Yeah, we're we're thrilled." to play him and instead they just you know acted like the abs took out vasilevsky maybe the abs will sign him instead of kemper <laughs> he's pals with miko and uh Lekinen. yeah i'm sure all fins are <laughs> well you know Lekinen was talking in one of his rare interviews um his low monotonic voice that, that he and Huso were pals. Oh, well. Maybe he'll come here and be our 1B. <laughs> so get rid of Kemper. Imagine if we had two Finnish goaltenders. Man, that'd be awesome. The Fiddle I mean, you know, Crank. <laughs> I know. I mean, you know Parkila would love that. You know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, like Game 6 just felt Felt like a miracle, not because I think like what the Avs did was like especially just total magic bullshit happening, but it was just oh, it just what was needed to happen. And then, well, Helm scoring <laughs> with five seconds left—that's pretty much a gift from the hockey gods. I think the Avs could have won it in overtime, but thank thank God we didn't have overtime. We also hey. needed Comfort's one good game of the month to win this, too. Hey, you know, perfect timing for it. Spared um, us all a game seven. <laughs> and it was on my birthday, so thanks for the gift. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll that, definitely remember that one. <laughs> and that was your prediction on our last episode, uh, how this series would now. You said in six, oh, okay. and That's, it would yeah. come on your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, sorry. We all had to go through that game five just so it would happen on the right day. Sorry, guys. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's nice to be moving on. It's nice to, like Earl said, have a different challenge, different experience. I'm sure it will be just stressful, but... You know, it's at least not... It, it's like when you're playing a video game. You you at least pass the level, right? <laughs> you're just done looking at the same task over and over again. You know, at least you've moved on to the next one. I do think... Yeah, I think the Oilers are... I think this is going to be a fairly fun series. Wow. And it, it, nice starting times, too. Oh. Yeah, all I'm interested to see just what it's like with more attention. You know, there's gonna only be four teams left, so um, pretty much have to talk about Colorado, right? At least a little bit, and only in context of McDavid, but they still have to. <laughs> just like the context of Jordan Bennington being out for the St. Louis Blues for three plus games. 
Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm so, also just so done. I'm glad to see a different team, hear different narratives. Just, I'm sick of looking at the uniform, just everything. You just, that's also what I hate about this division setup. It's just, just so done playing these teams. And the Avs have, I think it was, what, 98 or something the last time the Avs had a series with the Oilers? That one didn't turn out so well. No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but at least it's new. It's different. And I don't even remember how long it's been since the Oilers have won a playoff round. Like 2014? Is... Any round? Really? I thought it was longer than that. 2014? No. No, because it had to be it, McDavid. It, yeah. Year? 16, I think. <clears throat> Did they won a round? Not make the playoffs, but actually win a round? Yeah, they got to the second round the other time they made the playoffs with McDavid. Okay. But obviously this is the furthest they've been in a long time, too. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, it, it should be completely different. Um, I think it will be different playing a team not as experienced. Um, they have I a lot think of experienced gentlemen on their team, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, I think St. Louis is better than them, but I'm also not saying, oh, this is just going to roll over them. I mean, I'm looking at it as a Western Conference final match. But I also think how they disposed of Calgary is also not necessarily their upcoming reality. <laughs> so, Yeah, um, I mean, you're done. You won the Pacific Division. Now you got to play a real team. But I, I think the expectations, a lot of fireworks, a lot high scores, a lot of McDavid and McKinnon scoring. I would almost say that is going to be the opposite of what is going to happen. The, the season series against the Oilers was three games. The third one was when they decided they didn't care about winning anymore. So it's kind of right off. But. First two, one ended in overtime, one ended, ended in a shootout. Avs won both of those, but it was a close, low-scoring game. Both teams actually played fairly defensive, believe it or not. So that's kind of what I'm expecting out of this series. I don't know. I mean, I know Duncan Keith has had sort of a renaissance, but I'm not, I'm not that... <laughs> Worried about him. I'm not worried about Darnell Nurse. I think the Avs defense is going to run roughshod over him. Um, you know, I, I, I really think the McKinnon versus McDavid matchup, and you know, I realize that it's an oversimplification of how the the upper end of both lineups work, but I, I mean, I really think that's kind of the bellwether for how the series goes. I mean, if, if McDavid is able to score a lot, I mean, it's, it would be hard to allow that and still make it up elsewhere. Um, I don't think it, it would be impossible, but, um, you know, I think for the Avs sake, they really do want to see, you know, his effects limited. I mean, that's kind of true of anybody. Like, I'm personally more worried about Kane, and not because I think, like, Kane's better than McDavid. It's just that's been 
the Achilles heel of the Avs playing the Oilers. And the Shark. Yeah, they've never really been able to contain him. And they've done a fairly good job against McDavid. Like, he's in the ser- series, he scored zero goals against them. Um, they scored zero power play goals against the Avs in the series. Even in the terrible game, they didn't score a power play goal. So, um, not to say that that is necessarily a predictor. I just think it gives you some hints about maybe what the series is going to look like. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be surprising if special teams were, you know, more than more than just sort of a a small part of this series. I mean, I mean, you just don't see that many power plays at this round level. I mean, that benefits the Avs, for sure. Definitely. It it was the story against the In Blues. In both ways, think- too, because, I mean, the Oilers' penalty kill is quite good, statistically. And the Avs' power play, um, you take out Nashville, and it's, you know, it's okay. And it probably would be the same story for if there's a round four is um, the more at five and five, the better, which that's the mark of a good team, but power plays can change games. So (laughs) that's also the scary thing. I mean, it was pretty much the same thing with St. Louis because St. Louis was in, I think, at least the top 10 in, in both special teams categories, maybe even top five. Um, during the regular season, um, you look at, at the five-on-five time on ice um, per team during the second round. Like the the Av series was the highest of all of them. Uh, you know, they played seven eighths of the game at five-on-five, and I think that really benefited them. <laughs> uh, yeah, so hopefully that continues. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I think that that benefits them. I, you know, I, I, I like even with Jack Johnston on the back end instead of Sam. You know, I think the depth that the Avs have on defense with them playing right now, that's that's a, a big benefit. <clears throat> you know, we'll see how the Avs six minutes. Again, with the Oilers, I just I don't think you're, you're that scared of their bottom six. You know, it's weird. You I mean, kind of look at the matchups for the series, and you're, you don't have a good idea how it's going to play out, like where one team might be. I too would be worried about Evander Kane as well. Um, as we've already covered, the Avs have done a pretty good job of uh, containing McDavid. Uh, Drysaddle doesn't give me really any concern at all. Uh, I know he's going through some health issues, but Kane, I think, is the one that's going to be the the X factor for for the Oilers if uh, the Avs are just as successful as they had been during the regular season at containing McDavid. So that would be a, a concern for me is to see where that's going to go. I'm I'm not worried about the goaltending at all. I think... Uh, I think Kemper will do better. And he wasn't that bad in 
in this round. He looked bad at times, but he he bounced back after every loss, and the Avs won uh, the games they won, either giving up no more than three goals or in the bounce back wins two goals. So, and then even if you do have concerns, like the other goalies, Mike Smith, so. <laughs> He's always uh, going to be in a bit of an adventure himself. And he's really old. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. He might just be susceptible to breakage. Yeah, so, just getting uh, tired. Just don't get run. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, he's already gone through two series. Um, you know, that's. You know, you're just you're asking a lot for a guy that's 40 years old. Um, Who's yeah, his backup? Is it Koskinen still? Would they go with Koskinen? I don't know. I mean, the other guy I think is Stuart Skinner, but I don't. I doubt they would do it. They probably would just use Koskinen. Isn't it him? I would think so. They they didn't they signed him to like a. a Four-year deal a while back, didn't they? I, I think it's about done. I, I think there was already a rumor that he was going to sign in Europe, but obviously season isn't over. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Co- I mean, I, we've seen Koskinen play pretty well against us, and we've also seen him play not so great. <clears throat> um, you know, that's a tough one to call too. I, mean, I just. I, I look at the way the Avs have been able to dictate play so far against both Nashville and, and St. Louis. And I'm not seeing a way that the Oilers are going to be able to say, no, we're going to play our way. Um, you know, it's just they, I, I don't think they have the depth to do it. I think they play their way a lot better at home. So that's also something I'm looking for. Is the Avs have won every game on the road. So, um, you know, that's been good for them. They've also lost their last two at home. So you kind of want to want to see them get back to how they were so dominant in the regular season at home. I mean, did they even lose two in a row at home all year? There should be a moratorium on small things and all Blink-182 songs <laughs> until they win again at home. I would uh, gladly support that. <laughs> yeah, make it the the win song. <laughs> uh, no. It doesn't look like at any point during season the Avs ever do straight at home. So there you go. It would it wouldn't surprise me. Uh let's see for that you have to go back to March of last year when the Avs lost to the Anaheim Ducks on March 6th, and then two nights later, they lost to the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> I was about to say that. I think I remember they played Arizona. 
March. And I, I didn't work that in as a, another <laughs> way to get a coyote's nod here. It just happened to work out that way. And by the way, Mike Smith is a former Arizona Coyotes goaltender, so there's that. There's Dar- Darcy Kemper. <laughs> <laughs> Battle of the former dogs. Once again, all roads lead to the desert. It's true. Scrap the McDavid McKinnon storyline and go with (laughs) (laughs) former Arizona Coyotes. I I know it's been mentioned in our, you know, on the Discord that the Avs have uh, are going through and dismantling the uh, in order with. uh, Duchesne. First three. Has developed third rounder. Yeah, someone put that up on Twitter the other day. It was pretty amazing, you know, like, oh, Duchesne, first round, first round pick. O'Reilly, second round, second round pick. Barry, third round, third round pick. Huh. But they don't have to worry about anyone past that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if the Avs uh, get it done, there's a possibility of uh, them seeing a former Minnesota Wild Nino Niederreiter. And the crazy thing, we don't even know who's won between Carolina and New York yet. And vote until tomorrow. <clears throat> yes, that hinges upon Carolina getting it done and the storm surge being successful. We would like to see that. Yeah, if they pick now to lose their first game in the home, it'd be tragic. I'll tell you what, though, Shesterkin has been out of his mind. You know, obviously, like, I think Vasilevsky's numbers may be a little inflated and just because, you know, it, it, it does seem like Florida flailed a little bit. Um, but he and Vasilevsky and Shesterkin have been playing amazing statistically. So we've already kind of done a little bit of a preview into the conference panel, but before we give out predictions, uh, any anything else we want to talk about that uh, upcoming matchup on Tuesday against Edmonton? It's just, I, I've been trying to sort of gain insight into it, and it, it's just it's really tough to see just because, you know, both teams are – just not used to being where they are right now. Um, the abs perhaps more so since they're, you know, they have been in the second round for the past few years and Edmonton's kind of new to the playoffs and all that. But, um, you know, it's like Ed- Edmonton's had a lot of coach turnover. Um, so it's like they're, you know, it, it's hard to go on past results to, to look at anything with them. 
when you look at their lineup, there's you know there's a lot of guys eek. But um, I just I, you know I don't know how to call this one. I think it'll be more chaotic. Yeah. But I think, <laughs> uh, but like I said, I'm not expecting the scoring bonanza that probably will get really hyped up the next 48 hours. Um, but if the Avs can stay up five and five and play their game, I think they're the better team. I mean, I, I think they're definitely the better team. I just, I, I think what you're talking about with the chaos, you're just like, you know, this could go four, this could go seven, and it honestly wouldn't surprise me. Um, yeah, I mean, I still think I'm going to say six. For who? That's probably <laughs> my... <laughs> I know I've said it every series, but to me, that just sounds... You know, more typical, I guess. Like, there's just definitely a different vibe between going six and seven. Like, five, six, and seven all really have different vibes. And especially if you score a hat trick with four minutes left in the <laughs> game five. <laughs> so I would have been right if that had held up. <laughs> <laughs> You and me both, Earl. You and me both. (laughs) So I don't think... I don't think they're quite going to get into coin flip territory of a Game 7. But... The problem with a Game 7 is the Avs have lost five straight Game 7s. But then you can look at it both ways. Are they do, or is it a pattern? Right. And that goes back many years, too. That goes back 20 years. So... uh, And you also... In franchise history, they're two and four in conference finals. Um, so they're either due or doomed. Um, and again, there's conference finals many, many years ago. Um, to me, the glory years in this current era are just so completely divorced from each other that I don't see any carryover. I mean, we're not even close to having even remotely the same team. So that's the way I look, look at like the glory years to me. It's almost like I probably shouldn't get into it because a lot of people don't agree, but to me, that's like almost like a different franchise and and this is like, you know, the actual avalanche. I think it, I, I think there's a little more relation than you're giving credit for. I mean, and, and it's not just like the star player is now the GM kind of thing. I, mean, I, I think the way the Avs are run, and even though the Cronkies didn't really own the Avs for a, a lot of the glory years, um, you know, they, they've always had the same kind of personality within the league as far as being you know, sort of a, a pariah franchise, sort of not not one of the cool franchises <clears throat> within the 100 hockey men and all that. Um, 
But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's I mean, hard, it's, it's hard to say like, well, they blew four conference finals back in the 90s and early 2000s and it matters now. Um, but no, I mean, to that extent, I agree because I'm the one that always said like the front office is way more similar than people think. And so, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it, it's not definitely... like there aren't still a lot of people left over from the 90s working there. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, to that extent, it is like the same team and franchise and organization. Just, I don't know. I don't I don't think the previous records are going to matter, but we'll see. <laughs> I think they matter just from a pure, purely historical context, because 20 years is a long time, and the game has changed so much since the Azra lesson final back in 2002. So I... I don't know how much you can really draw off of the last game seven in against Detroit back then. Abs didn't even have home ice in that series, if I recall. No, they exiled in North Carolina with no ability to watch those games back then. So, <clears throat> no, because game six was here. Yeah, and that was they the, didn't do uh, two. They, that, they did two three two back then. That was the uh, Bob Hartley Dominic Hasek challenge of the length of the stick incident, yeah. I think. So, yeah, it's a, it's a two and four record in in the conference final, but I I would say that holds any weight on this current group. They considering they were like what ten years old. Some of them weren't even born yet. <laughs> no, but I, I think, I think just historically, it's something you would be aware of. Um, that it's it's something like you know, look, this is you know, this is the hurdle that the franchise has struggled with, and, and you know, to do this would be this much more meaningful. Um, well, right, let's go into a cup like that. That's just so meaningful on its own. And they've never uh, lost in the cup for them. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, it, it's... These series have shown, you know, it's a lot different when you're in them. I and, mean, fun uh, fact, the Avs are the only team that's never lost a cup final that's been in one. That's good. I, I hope that continues. <laughs> Maybe they could win one on home ice. And Jared Bender has never lost a conference final he's uh, he's ever coached. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's good to know, too. Yeah, so, I mean, I know this is, you know, that this stuff is out there, but it's stuff that's going to come up. Because um, people like Chambers love bringing stuff like this up. But that takes research. He still thinks they wear maroon jerseys for practice. Yeah, but his like research book is from 2004, so <clears throat> he's right on top of it. That's right. All right, so Jack, you're saying N6. Yes, I'm sticking with it. Presumably, that is abs in six. Yes. I... <laughs> I've had a lot of luck with picking 
Ten and five. I said five in round one, and I was wrong. I said five around two, and I was wrong. So, I think I'm going to say round five again, yeah. as in five, and hopefully I'll be wrong again, and they went on the road, just like they did in the last two series. Okay, so using that logic, instead of picking five, I should pick six, because I picked them in four in the first, and was right. Five in the second, and I was wrong. Six in the third? No. I should have been right in the second, so this will do absolutely fun. I, I'm fairly confident they'll close it on the road. They've won five straight on the road now. Home ice meant nothing to St. Louis because they lost every game, which is completely baffling to me. I thought they would yeah, win, me too. <laughs> win at least like, one of those. Like game six, oh, they're not going to lose another one at home, are they? It's like you'd almost want to see what would happen if Carolina played St. Louis. A team that can't win at home versus a team that can't win on the oh. road. Oh, that sounds so boring. <laughs> <laughs> The immovable force meets the resistible object. <laughs> uh, we we kind of skipped over this, so we'll uh, circle back to the uh, scene. Uh, stars and <laughs> uh, Earl, you want to lead us off? <clears throat> I mean, I think I have to take the easy one and call it Nas. Um, you know, I, I know that, you know, he kind of ghosted after his statement game. Uh, but I think just to go what he, just to go through what he did um, in St. Louis then um, come through with flying colors. And, you know, other than that, even though statistically, maybe he didn't have as much influence as in the one game where he had four of his seven points. Um, I think all around that line was pretty solid and did a good job. So, I stand with Nanas. I like that. Um, I also think overall his series was better than the last one for sure. Yeah, so I, I think th I think he started playing better early in the series. Like he did have a lot of chances that was kind of frustrating in game one, but I I do think he started playing better. So yeah, I think especially against Nashville, he was the rust was still evident, even though um, you know they assured us that he had had plenty of time to to recover. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like what we saw in this series. You're like. That's Nas. That's how he plays. He looks fine. Uh, so that's what we like. Is it my turn? Yes, uh, it sure is, Jackie. Who was your... This is going to be like really obvious, right? <laughs> well, I spoiled it last time, so I, I'm going to... Uh... Not ruin the moment. Okay. Well, you know, I always want to give love to Bo, but I really do think he 
has earned and deserved it for this round, especially, um, you know, maybe taking on a little bit of Sam's role, but I just think, um, just really finding his game and in such a, an important, critical, you know, playoff style, um, really nice team get some assists Some some of his nice passes are going for goals. I know he's still searching for his own goal. I just believe that, you know, it'll come in a really big moment. Like the moment just hasn't come yet. They haven't needed it. Um, it's like he can score goals. Remember he scored like five and 18 games. So he is capable of it. Um, I just think he's played well all around. Like his analytics are really good. Just creating tons of scoring chances. Good defensively. Uh, just really someone that they need. And like, it's not easy to play defense against St. Louis. You know, they big forwards they play hard on the walls, stuff like that. And I also think the good thing is he's been really consistent. Like, you know what you're going to get from him, like, every single game. So, I'm sure the coaching staff really appreciates that. So, um, I think he's up to six points now, five from this series, I believe. So, he's going for that playoff Calder, if there was ever such a thing. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I'd, I've been very impressed with him. I, I think he's not as dangerous as we know he can be, and I I'm fine with that because he's also more consistent. And I, I think I, I think what he has to do to earn the trust of the staff um, and allow him to, to get into those situations to be a little bit more dangerous which is what he's really focused on during his playoffs. Like He's been very solid defensively. Um, his breakouts have been really good. Uh, he's been very complimentary of regardless of who he, he plays with, whether it's EJ or James Manson, whatever. And he's, he's played well with whatever partner they put him with. Um, you know, he's just he's been a very consistent guy. I just I, I think if you're the staff after looking at the first and second rounds, you're like you know, we can put this guy in any situation that we need him, and you know, it's going to turn out fun. Um, I think, I think for me, when they just dis- decided to put him in the playoff lineup, like he'd already kind of crossed that threshold. Um, because I really do think they encourage the offense with him big time because they know how much talent he has on that end. Like I, I think for them, him just playing well defensively wouldn't earn like an A. Or like five stars, or however they grade it. No, I mean, I, he's not recklessly dangerous. Is is kind of what I'm saying. Um, I, when when yeah. he when he pinches in, like it's always in a spot. You see him circling back a lot, and it's like that's something we've seen with Makar learning over the years. Like when you do, or you do go for it in an offensive situation, you're the fourth guy. You know, make sure that you're leaving yourself a, a route that you can get out and get back. And I, I think that's a really good thing for a defenseman like Makar or Bo to learn is that, you know, if you put yourself in a situation where it's hard to get back, um, 
Well, they're just such good skaters and they read the play well. Like, you can't because you know that they can recover so well. Yeah. Um, But I don't think that's had any influence on, you know, why he hasn't actually scored a goal yet. Because he's, I mean, he's hit, I think, two posts so far. Um, I also think, like, if you think about the goals he scored and – and then in the playoffs, you know, you're not going to have that many, like, individual efforts. No, and it's going to be a lot more clogged. <laughs> you need to sort of, like, play make. And I still think that it's still something that the teammates and him are learning. Like, a lot of them don't even think to pass to him in those situations. And it's like, he definitely is... It's just as good of an option as maybe like whoever the forwards are. And so that could be part of it too. And I've always said like it's it's about how aggressive he plays because he could turn it up like just balls to the wall every shift. And I think he's finding that balance, a little bit of self-preservation, maybe a little bit of like it's a little bit too much for NHL playoffs to be like that all out, but you know, there probably is a little bit more of a level that he can really, really, really push if he needs to. Yeah, and you know, building on that self preservation aspect, I think he's been really good at not putting himself in situations where you know, you, you would get clobbered um, in a bad way. And I don't think that's like shying away from contact or anything like that. I think that's just what NHLers learn after being in the league a little bit. Like, if you do this, you're going to get clobbered, and it's not going to be good. So, <clears throat> yeah, maybe he's a little bit more conscious conscious of it on like a shift to shift basis, which I think is fine. I mean, at the end, well, of the I mean, day, it's just like you don't see like good NHL players like sitting there putting themselves in situations where they're, they're going to get killed. You know, that's like kind of what you have to learn to be, you know, a good player long term. Some guys never do. You know, some guys skate through the neutral zone with their head down and keep doing it. Um, but it's like Bo is learning how to play his position without putting himself in danger. And it's like, that's something the team wants him to do because he does no good to them if he's not playing. Um, yeah, I'm fine with it too. Like, whatever he needs to yeah. do. To- no, it's it's not cowardice or anything like that. I mean, it's it's... This is how you help your team is by staying in the lineup. <clears throat> and I think part of it is like the aggression. Like he could take, he could take way more hits to take more, make more passes or plays. But it's like it's just not worth it, right? Um, and you mentioned the the <clears throat> the playoff Calder. Um, you know, right now it looks like it's between he and Seth Jarvis and the Hurricanes. Um, you know, they're both two good young players. They're having good playoffs. You know, hopefully this is when we get to watch to the finals. Hey, I'd be all for that, for that storyline. Yeah, Jarvis is a good player. Definitely good for him. But, you know, of course I want Bo to come out on top. <laughs> But it is fun to see him getting recognition, you know, as they go further and further. And there just aren't, like, Jarvis is really the only other rookie in the conversation. So, 
the scene. All the others are eliminated pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and since they are going to be playing a Canadian team, and, you know, I, I am interested to see, does he get a lot more media attention? I think he will because, you know, having to watch on demand like I do a lot, I get the Sportsnet feed, and they tend to talk about Byram a lot more than the TNT and the ESPN guys do. Oh, I can see it for sure. I mean, especially yeah. as a Western League guy, you know, World Juniors in Edmonton, you know, all this and that. Like, they are way more familiar with with everything right. about him. And it's like, when I... Like, you, you watch the American broadcast. Like, Biz will talk about him. Um, Jen Botterill will talk about him. Um, but it's, you know, it's like... You know, obviously, like the fossils, like Chelios and Messi, I have no idea who he is. <laughs> uh, you know, like I, I actually like I caught Talkit talking about him the other day. Like, he was actually pretty complimentary of him, so that's pretty good too. But he's a former Raps coach, so. But yeah, I think, you know, I I think this is kind of the fact that he's made it this far. Um, will sort of put him, you know, more towards the front page in the, in the Canadian for sure. Yeah, that'll be fun. I like getting bow content. <laughs> and they might actually post it too, which that's, that'd be fun to have content that I could enjoy, you know. <laughs> Like, is content content if no one can see it? Philosophical question. But Vlad, you have a star. Schrodinger's content. <laughs> it's in a box somewhere. <laughs> uh, my star is actually going to be the man who saved us all from Game 7 Misery, Darren Helm. Yeah. Because I really, I really thought his line played well during this series, and again, he saved us from Game Seven misery, and I cannot thank him enough for doing that. So that alone yeah, so should give me, it should seal the deal for me. But I, I was really encouraged with his play. So I know, and everyone wanted him scratched that day. <laughs> I guess he can stay. But yeah, a huge goal. I mean, there's nothing else to say about it. Just great, great thought process to shoot in that moment. And you never know. Finds an opening and goes in. Yeah, I mean, I think out of the fourth line, Andre, he's probably the one that's um, stood out the most. Um, you know, for me, I I haven't liked Cogliano's game much. I, I Maybe it's just too subtle for me. I don't know, but you know, I, I don't think he really adds that much to, to stay in the lineup. Sturm, it's hard to evaluate just because you know, it seems like he's playing one-handed. And for the past three games, he hasn't played at all. Um, but, you know, Helm has really kind of turned it up in the playoffs. And it, it, it's definitely a different Darren Helm than we saw during the regular season. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, regular season, he was just really anonymous, I'd say. Right, and so is his usage. Like, you know, and this may be another case where, 
you know, in, in sort of retrospect, you know, Bednar was just fine with not using him. I mean, he, he has had durability issues throughout his career. So maybe the reason he wasn't getting a lot of minutes was that, you know, it just wasn't time to do that. And he wanted to, to have guys like he and EJ a little bit fresh for the playoffs than they would be if they were sort of played to their full extent in the regular season. So let's switch gears. Scratches. Uh, Jackie, do you want to lead us off? We've got plenty to go around. <laughs> <laughs> I will say Taze. Like, he probably is dealing with something. I know he did take one, I think it was morning skate off. Um, you know, I don't know if it's what he had surgery on, something else. Probably what kept him out when he didn't go on that road trip at the end of the year. But you know, I think it's also some of the decisions he's making, which I think makes it a little bit more disappointing. Um, I've remarked a couple times on Discord, he looks like the guy that the Islanders were willing to get rid of because he didn't have a really good series against Tampa Bay that year. You know, we just know that he can be better. Uh, it's hard to say anybody was flat out terrible when you win a series when pretty much everyone's analytics are in the positive and stuff like that, but he just hasn't been good at all, really, for, for a little bit of time. Yeah, I mean, I think he, both he and McCarr, um probably disappointed some people during this series. Just, you know, the, the points weren't there. They weren't as um, impactful as they usually are, and you know, my response to that is, is a basic, you know, they they shut down the Blues for a, a good portion of it, and maybe that came at the sacrifice of a little bit of offense, you know, and kind of going from 10 points to... to I mean, yeah, it's definitely not just about offense. Um, right, but stuff, I mean, like, that's just sort of like, when, Toes, and... when Taze is going well, like, he's scoring points, so that's kind of yeah. what that like. But, you know, you just hope for a little bit better defensively, being able to get out of the zone. Usage has been kind of interesting. Like, he he's played a lot of minutes, if you look at it, at the end of the game. But in stretches of games, you're just kind of like, you know, maybe they kind of realized that he wasn't really going that well. Yeah, and I, I mean, obviously, with Sam leaving the lineup, they've had to... Just- sort of blended a little bit. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with having Jack Johnston in the lineup, if that indeed is what they plan to do, which I think it is. Um, you know, sort of how they, they spread the minutes around. Um, I, I don't think they want to play Jack Johnson all that much. Um, wasn't I, th- I think he had one shift on the PK in the games that he played, so it's you know a lot. A lot of the the minutes are, are falling elsewhere. Um, you know, it'd be really nice to have teams step up and be able to be a little bit more impactful in the next series. 
And, you know, I, I do think the opportunity is there because, again, I just, I think the defense is such a weakness for Edmonton that that's going to allow the Avs defensemen to thrive a little bit more than they do. So. Who's your scratch, Earl? This is tough because, all right, statistically, Valnichushkin had a pretty good series. But it just doesn't look like it doesn't look like he's projecting the same kind of power and influencing the game the same way he did during the regular season. Maybe that's just you know a function of the playoffs and, and the difficulty of the matchup or whatever. I just felt like the hands weren't there and Yeah. I mean it's like but, when he dropped that stick and kind of lost the game for them. Um I don't necessarily think it's injury, even though everyone kind of gets that hedge. I mean, he did have a bad wrist injury early in the season, and maybe it's not been 100% the whole time, and that could be part of it, but it It just seems like I don't, I don't, yeah, with him, is it nerves, is it confidence, you know? Like I just said, he kind of looks more like Dallas Nuke, or at least the Dallas hands, just not as sure with the puck on his stick. And I mean, for me, it's just he's not influencing play as much as he Well, I think he can because he can't hold on to the puck. And that might be it. Um, but it's just... But it's I, funny. It looks like the, the practice lines, if they hold, is they're going to flip Nuke and Lekkanen and have him back on the top line with Nate and Miko. So, you know... My guess is they're going to anticipate that that line is going to go against McDavid and and that they're expecting a lot defensively from Nuke, which, I mean, he's the guy but for that kind of role. But, um, you know, you just hope the hands be. come back a little bit more. Because, all right, we know that Nuke is really actually not that great in the defensive zone, but he is really good at denying zone entries and sort of, you know, well, anything forecheck related, yeah. Yeah, I mean, checking, but also uh, controlling the neutral zone is kind of where he's good. And that's but that's honestly is, where, that, that's a place where the Avs really didn't choose to fight the battle against the Blues. But the thing is, is that if you're going to play with McKinnon and Miko, you have to be able to, like, be a worthy playmaker with them. I know he could do it. Like against Nashville, there were a ton of plays between McKinnon and him, but you just can't have the play die on your stick or fumble the puck. Yeah. Because then that line is going to, is going to do nothing offensively. And so then you're taking McKinnon and Miko off the table. Well, it looks like Miko is going to be on the second one. (laughs) No, it was Miko, McKinnon and Nuke, wasn't it? No, Miko was with Todd in practice, but I, I I think that if if this is the strategy is if if they're choosing to fight the battle against McDavid in the neutral zone, um, then this is probably the right move. I think if it was something like just forechecking was more important, then maybe they'd stick with Lekkonen. Um 
and maybe that's sort of something they want to use against their second line is sort of have Miko, Lekkonen, and Kadri being the line that tries to hold the offensive zone. That works out. But regardless, I just I want to see Nuke be a, a little bit more of regular season Nuke just because, I mean, that's just so fun to watch. I mean, when he's the train and, and that keeps on going, um, I think that gets everyone else in the team fired up. Let's hope he rests those hands. <laughs> and Vlad, you. I scratched him in round one, and I'm going to scratch him again. And he literally did get scratched. It's Andre Burakovsky. Oh, Berkey. <laughs> Maybe the uh, assist in game six is eventually start turning the ship around for his breakthrough in the conference final. I did appreciate his hustle when he comes back. He just, to me, he just looks so focused on it. Like it doesn't come naturally. So when he's hustling, it just really looks like he just is putting his every ounce of oomph into it. And I don't say that it, in a bad way. I'm just saying like, it's just so noticeable. So I appreciated that. But like we talked about earlier, it is going to be difficult to see him really find success on, on the kind of line that he's been on. So he might be an eternal scratch. Well, no time like Tuesday to start. Uh... <laughs> right. Don't wait for game seven for the magic, Berkey. We could use it in game one. Yeah. It's, Berkey's a tough one for me just because, I mean, you see him, he, he's really tenacious on pucks. I don't think that's something he gets enough credit for, but what he doesn't do is is take up a lot of the ice and... You know, I think that's why a lot of people that expect him to be a shooter and, and score a lot, you know, don't see that as much. Um, just because he's, you know, he will keep pucks in, he will get pucks in the zone. But from there, it's it's got to be other people driving the bus. And that's just not, you know, that that's not comfort and could be. So that puts him in trouble. Well, I think we're ready for round three. <laughs> uh, for the first time in the history of this podcast, we're going to round three. It's true. I don't think they had podcasts the last time they were in round three. They did no, not. There was no pod. <laughs> <laughs> Uncharted waters for sure. So, the Western Conference Final will begin on Tuesday. At Ball Arena, 6 o'clock scheduled a puck drop, which is, of course, really just code for 6.15 on TNT, Denver start time. Two nights later, they do it all over again. Same bat time, same bat channel. Same two teams. We're all on TNT again? It is a TNT-only round. Huh. 
So game three at Rogers place in Edmonton, same start time, same time zone. <laughs> and game four on Monday at Rogers place, 6 p.m. Denver start time, TNT. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see how Darren Pang talks about this series now. I hope he doesn't. I <laughs> hope he's all talked out. I, I got to say, um, you know, watching the Sportsnet coverage, um, the play-by-play guy was a guy named um, Arnare and Singh. Um, he's Punjabi. Uh, he did a fantastic job. Um, who is it? Louis? Is it Louis DeBrusque? I, I, I can't remember who's the father and who's the son, but DeBrusque was the, the color guy. Um, yeah. And it was just so refreshing not to have to listen to Darren Penn. Um, yes, Louis is the father, Jake is the son. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah, those guys did such a, a clean broadcast. It wasn't a lot of, you know, sort of oh, American style fluff, if you want to call it that. But um, I, I know I'll end up catching game one and four at the very least on the delay. So hopefully they do it too. But yeah, it'll it'll be nice not to have Darren Bang for at least some. I think they really need to rethink that for next year. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe put Pang in the East. You know, I, I think as an Avalanche fan, I, I found that a little bit offensive. <clears throat> you know, and if you're going to put Pang in between the benches, then, then put Pete in the booth, maybe. Or put Mark Rycroft between between the benches no. and see how that goes. <laughs> None of those. No, no way from altitude needs to be on national TV. <laughs> the mullet meter goes national. So, Western Conference Finals, get on board, everybody. It's going to be a fun ride. Looking forward to it. Well, we've gone well over three hours at this point. Any final words? We close things up for the evening. Go as go. No controversy, no bullshit. Let's just enjoy this series. I think it'll be a little easier for that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Go ahead, go. I don't disagree. I too say go abs go. So until you hear our voices next time, we appreciate you listening and we will catch you next time. Yeah.